Spins a web any size. Catches seeds just like flies. Look out. Here comes the Spider-Man. Hello and welcome to Amazing Spider-Man Classics in association with SpiderManCrawlspace.com. This is episode 31 and my name is John Wilson and with me are my two faithful companions and cohorts in comics conspiracy, Joshua Bertoni. Hey all you bindle stiffs. And Donovan Grant. What's up all you dads and sons out there? This is the podcast that takes you through every adventure of Spider-Man ever from the ground up. And we are sitting fat and happy right near the end of 1966 with amazing Spider-Man 44 and 45 and a cameo in the X-Men 27. But before we get to all that, I want to remind you that Amazing Spider-Man Classics is brought to you by Roll2Play, your best online source for games and gaming accessories. One of their top-selling items right now is the Killer Bunnies card game. It's not a collectible card game. Everyone plays from one deck, but it is expandable with booster decks with new cards coming out periodically. And the object is to collect as many carrots as possible, trying to keep your bunnies alive as you do so because your opponents are armed with weapons. Anything from kitchen whisks to nuclear warheads trying to take your bunnies out. It is a lot of fun, and the blue starter deck is available for $30 at www.roll2play.com. You can also find Roll2Play on Facebook if you search Roll2Play, all one word, spelled with the number 2. Nuclear weapons against bunnies? Somebody's not playing with a full deck. (laughs) Before we get into the business of comics, I want to make an announcement. Getting married? Oh, wait, you're already married. I'm already married. I'm getting, um... You're, you're getting married again, you bigamist. Yes. I'm going for the trifecta. No, I have started a new podcast. This makes four. So if you point your browser over to www.themightyshield.com, you will find the home of The Mighty Shield, a Captain America podcast, which will be taking a monthly trip through the adventures of Captain America in the Golden Age, Silver Age, and today. Our second episode is brand new and up there waiting for you to download, where we looked at all of Captain America's adventures from his revival in the Avengers 4 right up to the beginning of his regular feature in Tales of Suspense. The first episode was a detailed look at Captain America Comics number one, and future episodes are going to combine those two eras and have a mix of both Golden Age stories and Silver Age in one uh, episode. And then once the new Captain America number one hits in July from Ed Brubaker and Steve McDiven, we'll be hitting the modern books on the show as well. So that's The Mighty Shield, a monthly Captain America podcast on iTunes and at TheMightyShield.com. So how are you guys doing tonight? I'm feeling scaly. I don't know why. I mean, I, I keep on looking at my hand and it's turning green and scaly and I have long fingernails. And every time I'm surrounded by science, it just gets worse and worse and worse. I, I I don't know what's going on, but I'm sure I'm sure it'll subside. It will, it, nothing will happen to me. How many hands do you have right now? Oh, I have two hands, but I have like four fingers. I have three oh, that's fingers in my thumb. Two hands is bad when you're um when you're feeling skelly. Oh, oh crap! God. Okay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I gotta go. Y'all carry on without me. Help me right. Oh, I thought the serum was supposed to help me, but the pain. Is it <laughs> no. No, there's going to be another line from that episode that we're going to use. I think Don. I think Don knows. I think, but not right now. 
Well, oh. when they see the lizard robbing the thing. Who else can climb a building like that? All right. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll hit it up. We'll let you know when we get to it. Well, before we get into the lizardy goodness that we're teasing you about right now, uh, we're going to read just a few of your emails that have been stacking up. We may do an actual complete email episode rather than trying to catch up a little bit every time, but we are going to do a little bit now just to make sure we, we get some done. Um, so, Donovan, why don't you read our first email for the night? Okay. This is from Gerard De La Tour. It's titled, The Cover Conundrum. Okay, not really. Dear Clone Saga Chronicles Skeleton Crew and John. Hey, now. <laughs> I just wanted to chime in with a quick note about episode 26, and more specifically about the cover to Amazing Spider-Man number 38. As you guys expected, that cover is in fact a Frankenstein-like concoction off of the Xerox machine, but that applies more so than you originally thought. You see, there is an original line of art in the cover at all. The Spider-Man figure itself is from an interior panel, page 13, panel 5, although it appears to have a slightly different coloring that likely is due to the difference between cover and interior printing procedures. The panel on the bottom of the cover, from left to right, are reproduced from page 7, panel 6, page 12, panel 4, and page 15, panel 1. What I find most interesting about this is not that the cover was pulled together from all that interior art, but rather the st- that Stan didn't simply commission a cover from someone else in the bullpen, a la the Jack Kirby cover to Amazing Spider-Man number 10. I may be wrong about this, but it seems like the, that would have been less of a hassle for somebody in the production office, probably Saul Brodsky, to piece together a qu- cover like this than it would be for someone on staff to qu- quickly draw a new cover. Anyway, I hope you guys find this info interesting. Until next time, Gerard De La Tour the Second. Thanks, Gerard. In the uh, books that we're going to be talking about tonight, in one of the Marvel bullpen bulletins, Stan makes a note about the process it takes to make a reprint book because they have all the reprint books going on. And he says that the process they have to go through to recreate art you know, from a reprinted book onto a new page is actually more involved and takes more time and money than making a new page of art. And so, yeah, Gerard's kind of right. Why didn't they just have somebody, you know, draw out a new cover? It might not have been very good, like Amazing Spider-Man number 10's cover wasn't, but it would have been something that looked better than what we got. <laughs> and um, easier and cheaper. Well, I mean, maybe... maybe I kind of took it. I, I, I take the cover, the lazy cover, as a sign that of 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 Ditko's wane on his interest in the character. So I just thought that was sort of left in there, sort of like to hint at the readers as to maybe what he felt about the the title, or maybe not. I don't know. That's that's only my that's my personal opinion. Our next email is from Steve Rogers, entitled "Spider-Man Twin Towers Trailer." Hey guys, thought I'd hit up the Twin Towers discussion. I guess this is in reference to our movie commentary uh, special anniversary episode. From all I've read, that trailer was always meant just for the promotional material for the movie, like commercials and Super Bowl ads, etc., and wasn't going to be in the movie itself. Of course, that could be post-9-11 spin, giving a reason for it being cut and not having to deal with the sort of talk John was saying about looking for where it would have fit into the montages and such. I'm of two minds about it. On the one hand, it's a fictional world's New York City, as opposed to a fictional piece set in the real New York, i.e. establishing shots in a show like Friends. And granted, Marvel and DC did produce 9-11 comics, but still. 
But on the other hand, I was watching the film Watchmen, and there's a scene in Ozymandias' office, and you see that Chinese restaurant blimp looking dangerously close to two very distinct tall buildings. I cringed when I saw that. Granted, the film was set in 1985 and released in 2009, but I can see someone being taken out of a film and to have a negative reaction by seeing that imagery even all those years later. Anyway, love the 2002 gag and the blooper reel. Any chance of you guys doing anything for the 1966 cartoons when they start rolling out? Never! To answer the last question, since the 1966 cartoons aren't Spider-Man, other than just, you know, mentioning that they're here and that they're cool and that they're coming on Netflix later on this year, I don't think we're going to be doing a whole lot with that. We're still trying to figure out exactly how we want to cover the 1967 Spider-Man cartoons, so stay tuned for that. Our next message is from Liam Elcote, and he has bad news for the Python Gibbon shippers. Howdy, y'all. Oh, that's a very cheery response for, you know, a very dreary subject line. (laughs) Why does he toy with our emotions this way? I write this with great remorse, as I have discovered the most tragic of tragic news. In the Marvel Apes miniseries that nobody read, apparently the Gibbon, who is the main protagonist, reveals that him and the Princess Python shared true love, but have since parted ways. This may be part of a deal with Mephisto. We don't know yet. But things go downhill from there. In the Dark Reign, Young Avengers, even her female powers can't help Zelda Dubois escape from a big-ass bomb. The bomb was planted by her never-before-mentioned son, who was a member of the Dark Young Avengers. Don't know if the dad is Stilts or Gibbs, though. And frustratingly, we're still waiting on a fallen snake, the death of Princess Python one-shot. <laughs> Keep waiting, Liam. Keep waiting. Hopefully in 20 years' time, Ed Brubaker might on this whole death and reveal Princess Python has been working as a Soviet weapon. And then she can eventually become the new Captain America. Ooh, and then her snake can become the new Bucky. That would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> They'll be calling him Bucky Steak. <laughs> if he wears this domino mask, nobody will know that he's a snake. <laughs> <laughs> if he just doesn't say his last name, nobody will connect him with the actual real person. That's really funny. Uh, sad that Princess Python has been, you know, blown up real good or anything like that. But um, no. but at least we have closure now to that character's story. Well, I think that she'll be back because Princess Python, you know, like clone pieces of herself, and they're going to graft the best pieces into like a Super Princess Python. But she'll lose all her memories. I, you know, I I expected a smaller reference sooner or later from this episode. I, I gotta say, but um, oh, you know, it wouldn't take long. Not at all. Fare thee well, Princess Python. You were the number one double-crossing female. And Gerard de la Tour the second returns again with Spider-Man VHS as a title. Hey, gang, just a quick one today. To answer your question from the Spider-Man commentary, the movie was was definitely released on VHS. In fact, it was the last VHS, VHS tape I ever bought. And here's photographic proof, as he provides with the, uh, the VHS tape of the Spider-Man movie. Thanks for the great show, Gerard de la Tour II. Yeah, the VHS, the the front of the box is the well-known Spider-Man poster art from that uh, movie. The back image is the upside-down kiss. I have that video. And he actually has a picture of the video cassette on here. Ooh. Sit down around in the circle, kids, and we'll tell you what a VCR is. For a while, like, you know, my mom was, like, one of the last people to, like, you know, upgrade from a VCR to a, to, um, a DVD player. And, like, it was me and my sister begging her. I remember there's there's a joke on, like, on the show Cowboy Bebop, which takes place in the future. Like, 
they find an old VHS tape and they're wondering if it's a bomb or something. They don't know what it is. They're pulling the tape out like, what is this? It's like that episode of Doctor Who where they pulled out the jukebox and she says, according to legend, this is what was known as an iPod. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Our next email is from Aiden Mohan and it's it's really short. It's just called GILF. It's a picture of Anna Watson from the animated series. And it says Anna Watson GILF. And I have to say, my friend, you are one sick son of a bitch. (laughs) Very, very. (laughs) Of course, you know, Joshua Bertoni said that Aunt May was hot. So what are we going to do? We have have guilt all all up in this place on classics. I'll tell you what. And then after that interesting uh, imagery, we have another email from Steve Rogers called A Few Thoughts. Hey, gang, just listen to the episode number 29, had had a few thoughts. Kind of just hitting me that it's seemingly fitting that your first year and second year pretty much coincide with the Ditko Ramita handoff. Not completely, but it's still a sort of a fitting touch. Yeah, I kind of had the same thought, too, Steve. It was kind of neat that we did Ditko in our first year, and now we're going into Ramita in our second year. It's kind of cool. He says, that would have been episode 38, huh? Uh, Referencing the how many episodes we should have gotten done in the first year if we had gone by schedule. Too bad. Well, I can guess you can still use the in a row gag when 37 comes down the pipe over the summer. And if there is a guest on that show, there must be a bit where you guys are talking to the guest about which episode his or her show is to be. And the guest exclaiming, I'm 37. Um, I haven't seen Clerks. I know that there's this gag in there, but I haven't seen the movie yet, and and I've been shunned by many of my friends because of this fact. I've seen the movie. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. Um, there's something about some woman giving oh, 37. Oh, oh. 37 dicks. Yeah. Yeah. You will hear my response to that gag uh, and not knowing that gag in Golden Age Superman episode 13, where Michael Bailey pulls it out and i don't know what he's talking about so yeah um he always goes on to say it really is beyond a trope of marvel these days especially with spidey in general but i wonder how much the trope of superheroes not getting along such as in the annual was based on marvel trying too hard not to be dc in terms of the heroes being buddy buddy all the time sure there would be a time down the road in marvel canon and Steve goes on to say some other things about the Avengers and such that uh, we're going to move on in the interest of time. Thank you very much for the email, Steve. From Luke please. Fletcher on ASM Classics being awesome. Okay, like it already? Hey, Classics Gang, I started listening to your podcast around summer last year, caught up within a week or so, and I've listened to every new episode practically immediately after it's uploaded. It makes its way onto my iPod. Okay, hold on. Stop right there. Luke? You are my best friend for using the two different words, it's, correctly in that sentence. Thank you so much. Josh, continue. As you can see, John has low standards when it comes to the best friend title. You will not believe how few people can do that correctly. (laughs) And and the English major just walks away and cries, sadly. (laughs) Yeah. Like, one time, like, you know, Hope and John were, like, writing thank you cards to people, and Hope did it wrong. Her and John separated for, like, six months after that. Like, it was a rough time. It was really horrible. Yeah. Of all the podcasts, it <laughs> was really a downer show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
That's a good, that's a really that, good that was more depressing than it was meant to be. Like, <laughs> like I'm, I'm like I'm trying to like read this email again, and now I just made myself sad. <laughs> I, saw, I saw the transition, like you know, like, like ten seconds of silence for their for their fall of marriage. Okay, now <laughs> where was I? <laughs> well, they got back together. I said they separated for six months. You know. Yeah. Right. 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 I mean, they, they I, I take and, I take my grammar seriously. <laughs> His wife knows this. She never made that mistake again. <laughs> of, uh, <laughs> of all the podcasts I listen to, ASM Classics is by far my favorite. For a variety of factors, ranging from the choice of subject matter to the host combined knowledge to the outright hilarity of some of the episodes and running gags, Aunt May selling shoelaces for 10 cents to make a living, an early favorite of mine, and reoccurring bouts of spy- amazing spider irony, always raising a laugh. I sent you a review on iTunes some months back, but I didn't realize until recently that you guys won't see it because it only shows up on the UK iTunes store. Which oh, kind of okay. pisses me off, but thank you very much for that review, Luke. I don't go to UK stores anymore. It's it's scary. Why Apple thinks this makes sense for reviews of internationally available podcasts, I couldn't tell you, but the review is there and all the same. It was five stars if you were worried. boy, Luke. I was worried, I, I, must, I must say. Since listening to ASM Classics, I've also subscribed to Clone Saga Chronicles and Teenage Wasteland and recommended all your other listeners to do the same. Those shows can take a while to hit their stride, but they do so in a big way. But telling you how great you all are isn't the point of my email. I actually wanted to give you guys some thanks. The past year has not been so great for me. My home situation is pretty lame right now. My job is driving me up a wall, and as well as the rest, as for the rest, you may as well get Don to shout, Female! And that sums it up pretty nicely. The reason I wanted to thank you is twice now I've had days where I just didn't feel like doing anything, as if I was going through the motions, yet to listen to ASM Classics has made everything that much brighter and put a smile back on my face. More recently, your look on Annual 3 was so uproaringly funny, particularly Josh's reaction to Janet being an idiot. I know, right? I was walking through town while listening one evening, laughing myself silly, almost glad there was nobody around. At least I'd be carted off to the loony bin. Well, our plan obviously failed then. <laughs> Though I've always known these classic tales were that much sillier than modern Spidey Fair. Don't be too sure of that one. <laughs> Which I've just recently started getting back into. Sometimes they're just that much more ridiculous when the ASM Classics crew put them in the spotlight. The Avengers come across as such a dysfunctional bunch of morons in your rundown. Yet it's not as if you made any of it up. No, we just read what's on the page. <laughs> we didn't Pretty much. Over. Aunt May really did, you know, pay Ned Leeds a million dollars and shoot laces. <laughs> okay, we did, we did do sudden retcons there, I guess. <laughs> we, 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 we've retconned here or there, but mostly we've taken what's on the page. Right. Before I go, I have a question to ask. Your podcast has inspired me to create a similar show focusing on the British 1990s to early 2000s book Sonic the Comic, based on the adventures of everyone's favorite blue... Hedgehog, among other Sega superstars. It's just about ready to go. Once the show gets on the road, and I've got an ad ready for it, would you guys be willing to insert said advertisement into your After These Messages section? In return, turn for me doing the same, of course. No. Yeah, I, I don't know, John. John, We uh, are always happy to uh, to play other people's uh, stuff. So yeah, uh, definitely. No, we're not. Don't no, we, we are not on the same wavelength on this at all, John. Really? I mean, like, do you remember last the last episode you put that Batgirl Oracle ad in there? And me and Josh were like, whoa, 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 whoa. That show sucks. We hate that show. Don't, don't ever do that again. Stella like, paid me for that. I told you. Stella! That check bounced, John. I didn't know that at the time. I'm just saying. The answer is no. <laughs> happy, <laughs> happy emailer from the UK. 
<laughs> Unless you send us ten cents worth of shoelaces, then we'll reconsider. Hopefully, be a shoelace. <laughs> well, hopefully the show, which is a Sonic show, in case uh, we got sidetracked, will be accessible even the non-fans. For what it's worth, I'm also looking into the possibility of doing a podcast on Spectacular Spider-Man Adventures, a UK comic that initially reprinted the American issues of Spider-Man Adventures before branching off and creating its own continuity that it stands to this day. If I can get a hold of some of those early issues, I'll definitely give it a go. Yeah, they're ending that series, from what I understand. That's pretty sad. Yeah, I heard that basically all of original Marvel UK content is going away. I did not know, I did not know about that. Oh, it's been a big deal, yeah. It's uh, the, 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 it's what the mouse demanded, from what I understand. Hmm. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I'm talking myself around in circles now. Um, do you know this crew? <laughs> <laughs> So before you get bored, I want to wish you all the best of luck for the future and hope that ASM Classics is still going and covering today's contemporary issues when John's in a retirement home, rambling about men who climb sheer walls dressed in tights. Everyone picture that for a minute. It's Three years later. Right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, six months from now. And Lily is hosting the show. That'll happen by the end of the episode. All I'm the best for the future. Ooh, bindle stiffs. All the best for the future, you modely coddling bindle stiffs. It's going to come back, Luke. And Excelsior, Luke L.T. Fletcher. Luke, that was an amazing email. Thank you so much for writing that. And just knowing that we were able to be there for you during some rough patches, that that makes me very, very happy. I, I'm so glad that we were able to make you smile whenever it was hard to do. And your email yep. made us smile, if it's any consolation. <laughs> I'm all- Always, always happy to entertain, and uh, please ne- never hesitate to email again, just just to say hi. Yes. Yeah. Always happy to have yeah. listeners like you out there. And I hope your female problems, you know, get better. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Believe if, me, not, if not, at least you're not dating, you know, Betty Brands. Yeah, it can always be worse. Think of Betty. Well, I'm going to close out with one short email from Tyler, and then we're going to move on to the comics. Tyler Crone writes in, One Year Special. Thank you so much for informing me that clothing is now optional for all these episodes. Because of this, I have my girlfriend sit down and listen with me, which makes the experience all the more enjoyable. Yours oh. in comics, Tyler Crone. Oh my god. <laughs> Podcasting's for lovers. I don't think I've, I don't think I've heard about that, read about that email before. And uh, he reminds me to talk about Teenage Wasteland, which I really should do because Teenage Wasteland is back in new episodes. If you um, were a listener to that show and you kind of went away because of the big hiatus, if you took it off your subscriptions and add it back in because we have new episodes coming out again. And Tyler Crone has been added to the host list. So it is now a threesome on that show with myself, Tyler Crone, and the originator of the idea, Zach Henderson, who once uh, hosted on here back in our early days. So we are currently coming up on Death of a Goblin in our episodes, and then we're going to have Amazing Friends, and of course... War of the Symbiotes, and then it'll be coming up time for Ultimatum. So lots of good stuff coming down the road on Teenage Wasteland and Ultimate Spider-Man podcast. Is clothing optional? Clothing is definitely optional. So you have a clothing, non-clothing, optional threesome podcast. (laughs) About about a 15-year-old. Yeah, about a 15-year-old. Yeah, yeah. Have fun sleeping at night. You you pedestrious. You molly Colin. Bindle stiff. 
Spindle Stoop. Okay, now I'm a, I have enough cash raises. Okay, so with that note, we are going to move on to our comics. Are y'all ready? I'm ready? Yeah, let's do it. Amazing Spider-Man 44 was released on October 11th, 1966, with a cover date of January 1967. And while Captain Kirk and crew were trying to keep from staring at the beautiful women Harry Mudd had brought on board the Enterprise, Spider-Man was having problems in the sewers of New York, where stalks the lizard. Whoa! We see him on the cover, throwing webs on the lizard from above, but Liz is tearing them apart with his powerful green hands. And it's, it's Spider-Man, I can't even describe this position Spider-Man is in. His feet are on the ceiling, but he's like arced backwards so that it, it's just a really cool spidery pose. Um, John Romita cover, of course. And after that John Romita cover, we open the book and look past a U.S. government supplies ad to a very cool splash page. We're at Penn Station in a sort of side tunnel off the main concourse, looking out at Peter Parker and Aunt May as he gets ready to put her on a train to the shore because she needs to recover after her illness. But to the right, in the foreground in the tunnel with us, is Dr. Kurt Connors hunched over his green scaly hand with the shadow of the lizard looming over him, raging to be free. This is just an amazing piece of art. I'm kind of gobsmacked over it. This uh, this issue is the beginning of, I believe it's the beginning of where John Romita inks himself and the art is gorgeous. Yeah, it really, really is good. He is inking himself in this one. I think you're right. It is the first one where he does that. May's got, you know, people's names written all over her luggage. So if that gets lost, it's not going <laughs> to I just opened up like, the page so I could see what you were talking about. Yeah. <laughs> it's the wait to kill order that the Kingpin always does. <laughs> so speaking of Aunt May's luggage, we it is the credits that she has on her suitcase where we have story by Smile and Stan Lee, illustration Jazzy John Romita, lettering Swingin' Sam Rosen, and luggage Honest Irving Forbush. Actually looks like Peter is carrying that luggage, so maybe his secret identity is Irving Forbush. I don't know. It's an untold tale. The story is titled Where Crawls the Lizard, and what we have is Dr. Connors all freaked out that he's turning into the lizard because he's supposed to be meeting his wife and son, and he wants to do that as a human being. Peter Parker sees him from a distance, but he's too busy consoling his aunt, who's all sad to be leaving him alone. And then Dr. Connors' wife and son, Billy, see him too, but he realizes that he is, in fact, changing into the lizard, so he runs off down a train tunnel. As Martha, who gets her name for the first time, by the way, on page one of this issue, and Billy Connors wonder why their man might have run away from them, the change is complete and the lizard lives again. I didn't know. I didn't realize that this is the first time she got her name. Yeah, she was not named in Amazing Spider-Man Six. Wow. Why, Dad will be so excited to see me. He'll positively eat me up. Oh. <laughs> I get it, but I won't say why. He <laughs> picks up a wooden beam and bursts a hole through the wall of the tunnel and crosses into the sewer system, where he can create perfect plans for the downfall of the entire human race, and especially for the downfall of his greatest enemy, the masked Spider-Man. Peter puts his overwrought aunt on a train for her health-inducing getaway and then sees the worried Billy and Mrs. Connors. So he ducks out and, finding the nearest phone booth occupied, makes a quick change high above the rafters, which means that he's taking off his clothes in the ceiling. 
anyone who looks up can see naked Peter. Or not naked Peter, because he wears his suit on under his clothes. But anyways, then he hops down to touch base with the two worried lizard lovers before moving off to see if all their fears have actually been realized. This induces a flashback to Amazing Spider-Man 6, which we covered on episode 5 of the show. Spider-Man finds the hole in the train tunnel, which, of course, could only have been made by the lizard. (laughs) There's no other person. Who else could make holes in walls? Yeah. No one at all could possibly have done that. Not the rhino or the scorpion or the Ultraman. Or Or it couldn't be old or anything. Yeah, it couldn't have been there like 100 years ago. Here's another thing. Like, everyone's suspecting that, like, he turned into the lizard again. Like, you know, maybe he just wants a divorce. It's like, Kurt (laughs) ran away from us. It can only mean that he's the lizard. It can only mean. Right. (laughs) That's the only explanation. (laughs) He would kind of have, like, the perfect alibi if he ever wanted to have an affair, right? Oh, it's off. (laughs) off I'm the lizard lizard again. I don't want to know. He could have been running to the bathroom. He could have been. He could have been choking the lizard. Like, yeah, he, he, he could. He could have been like. Have, like he could have had like an extreme stump. I mean, yes, he really was the lizard, but like, it's just odd that like it's the explanation that they all immediately go to. Like, my husband's running away from me. He must be a lizard. Also, the people around him like think he's a criminal. Like, like, look out, Mac! What do you think you're doing? He must be a fugitive of the law. Stop! Somebody call the police. He's running. Okay. <laughs> yeah. A running man. Therefore, he must be a fugitive. So Spider-Man goes back to tell Billy and Martha that he couldn't find the doctor. He and the doctor or, you know, Amy Pond or Rory. I was supposed to say Rory the Roman. That's a good name for you. He and Mrs. Connors are speaking in veiled terms for Billy's sake, who either doesn't remember his dad turning into the lizard or is in denial about it. Spider-Man searches some more and then changes clothes back to Peter Parker. He heads off to the Daily Bugle because he really needs some cash, having spent the last of their dollars on Aunt May's train ticket. When he arrives, he sees Betty and the two of them have a normal conversation like rational adults. And the book explodes. And, uh, yeah, don't, and get, Josh, don't get used to that. And then Josh Petone woke up. <laughs> it was all a dream. In the course of the conversation with Betty, Peter thinks about how he can't believe he used to think he loved Betty, because now she's like a sister to him. Cut to issue 189, where he does something very unsisterly to her. (laughs) Peter Parker liked his sister. She was hot, and so he kissed her. I was like, Peter Parker will be played by Mark Hamill. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Peter, when I'm with you, it's just like being with my brother. Should we stop? I didn't say stop. But is is Betty Brant going to be played by pre-drugs Carrie Fisher or post-drugs Carrie Fisher? It depends on how you're right. <laughs> it's Betty Brant. It's post-drugs Carrie Fisher. Come on. <laughs> yeah, but she's cuter before she gets drugged out. I mean, Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back, Leia is a lot cuter than Return of the Jedi Leia. Just saying. Oh, is that when she? Okay. Well, she was doing drugs all through it. It was just really starting to tell by the third movie. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> So then Peter goes to talk to Jonah in his office, asking for ideas on photography projects, because whenever he says he'll just get pictures for Spidey, uh, Jonah doesn't want that. So he needs to find some way to make money to you know, have money. Jonah agrees to take photos that will make a Spider-Man expose. Fred Foswell overhears the conversation and starts mulling about how Peter gets all the best Spider-Man shots and how he might just have to start trailing him. But he can't pursue that line of thought right now because Jonah has a job for him, doing a profile on the cop that helped Spider-Man in his fight with the Rhino, which is a nod back to issue 43. 
Peter walks through the rain, because it's kind of been raining for the whole issue, but I didn't say anything about it before now. He heads for the Silver Spoon, where he finds Gwen Stacy sitting at a table with Harry and Flash. They missed him in class that morning, and Gwen offers to go over the lab with him, so he slides into the booth next to her. Like a boss. Like a boss. Flash is being an insulting jerk the whole time, but he's smiling while he says those things, so I guess that makes it okay. Why would Flash all of a sudden be getting upset? You would almost think that the girl that he was dating, like, all of a sudden started showing her attention to another guy the second that he walked into a room. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's, wait, no, 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 they're not dating. <laughs> they really aren't dating. We'll, we'll, we'll okay. come back to that. <laughs> I'm getting my gloves. The topic of the day is Flash going off to the war, but then in walks a red-headed vision of retcon bait, Mary Jane Watson. <laughs> nice. I like that. All the boys instantly feel stirrings in their nether regions and are shocked to learn that Peter already knows this creature. She basically soars in and scoops up Peter and flies away, much to the men's surprise and Gwen's dismay. Oh, <laughs> was, that, was that was that a planned rhyme? No, it sort of matched up with rhyme and meter, didn't it? That was pretty cool. <laughs> You're a poet. You I'm, um, I'm looking at issue 25 now to see if to see who Harry's quoting, if it's Liz or Betty. Because if he's quoting Liz, that's awesome that he like you know was quoting his future wife. It was uh, untold or amazing? In, in amazing issue 25, one of them's okay. Yeah, let's see. He's been hiding her from us, our shy bashful studious Peter. That's what Liz says, and then Harry. Future husband says, imagine shy Peter keeping her all to himself. To the- oh, okay, so it's not as similar as I thought it was. Oh, okay. I, I see where you're going. Okay, I got you. Yeah. But now it's action time again. The lizard emerges from the sewers, but before he heads for the Florida swamplands to again resume his plan for populating the Earth with giant lizards, he has to make sure that Spider-Man never interferes with him again. So he breaks into a wholesale jewelry showroom, grabs their entire stash, and leaves as police are coming on the scene. They (laughs) see him scaling up the wall outside the building, and in the dark, they determine that it must have been Spider-Man who robbed the store. (laughs) God almighty. Not not Sandman. All the other people we know can scale walls. Oh, that's just in Spider-Man's whole title, own title. Forget about the Marvel Universe, like, you know, Pace Pot Pete, <laughs> you the really Wizard. Dialogue with Felicia Hardy. It's Spider-Man! Who else could climb walls like that? And like, that's, that's such a perfect, like, stunt for that. Yeah, like, oh, there's actually a season two of the 90s show where um, Spider-Man, like, everyone thinks that Spider-Man kidnapped Michael Morbius, you know, unassuming college student from a hospital room because... He was on, what was it, the fifth floor or something? Yeah. He, he was on, like, the fifth floor. And, like, Felicia Hardy, who was Morbius' girlfriend, like, exclaims, it must be Spider-Man that kidnapped him. Who else can climb a building like that? And for the next, like, three or four episodes, the, everyone, including the Punisher, is after Spider-Man. Because <laughs> yeah. Somebody disappeared from a building where there was a high window. Yeah. <laughs> and, it must have been. Look, it's just the logic is like the Marvel Universe can be big when they want it to be big, but when it's convenient for them that like nobody else exists in that universe, it's like they completely forget about it. Like, you know, Daredevil could have done that. It's like, 
it's like it, it, it's like these other people don't even exist like in, in in the other books half the time like it becomes a self-contained i digress <laughs> it, it, it really is like that though i was i was recording the second episode of the mighty shield a captain america podcast located at the mightyshield.com where we were talking about how the uh, the masters of evil were terrorizing new york city and so they the teen brigade sends a red alert to the avengers who were on the other side of the country at the time so they had to fly back and they even make a stop off to refuel and it takes them so long that you know iron man adds magnets to captain america's shield and designs a whole new helmet for himself along the way but yet when they get back to new york nobody has taken care of the problem the masters of evil are still causing ruckuses so yeah there's there's no one else around in in a particular person's comic no one at all anyways brigade what a stupid idea yeah. So Jonah awakes to learn that his paper has run a special edition with the headline, Spider-Man Accused in Daring Gem Theft. <laughs> Peter reads that paper the next morning and is gobsmacked and realizes that it must be Dr. Octopus or the Sandman or Electro... No, wait, wait I don't know why I'm... Or the Chameleon show. or Mysterio, like the last two people who like disguises him and like robs something. No, of course, it has to be the lizard who is impersonating Spider-Man here. But he calls Mrs. Connors just in case to make sure that the dog hasn't been home. He goes to class, but spaces out all morning, worrying about the lizard. And waiting for night to fall, he tries to paint his motorcycle, because MJ had said she hates its current color, but he can't even focus on that. (laughs) Miraculously, it will get painted by itself the next issue. Thanks for science! Finally, when it's dark, he swings out, and shortly after midnight, he sights the lizard in an alley, sets up his camera, and leaps to the fight. The lizard's pretty tough and gives Spidey a run for his money until Spidey has to pretend to be knocked out just to catch his breath. The lizard crawls down into the sewers, but Spidey follows him, taunts him, and then starts scaling a wall. The lizard follows him up the wall, and the public realizes, oh... Just crawling a wall doesn't make someone a Spider-Man. A doy! (laughs) (laughs) Everyone takes a break for two pages of ads for seahorses, darling pet monkeys, hobby rockets, and stamps. Lots and lots of stamps. It's good to know that nothing changes in a quarter century, because there are lots of stamps in Action Comics in 1938, too. Oh, man. But uh, Spidey and the Lizard keep on fighting, despite the overabundance of stamps from the rooftops, and Liz knocks Spidey off the roof. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I knew Liz Allen had a chip on her shoulder, but like Not to come Liz back Allen. for a king. Liz Art. <laughs> oh, Liz Art. You know, everyone knows Art is his last name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I really like the idea of Liz Allen just randomly coming back for one panel, knocking Spider-Man down, then leaving. As <laughs> <laughs> it stage left. <laughs> The things you did to my stepbrother, I could kill you. <laughs> he had it coming. We used lube. Anyways. Oh, you're talking about lube. Liz Allen actually has a starring role in like one of the Fear Itself issues. Like they do like in one of the tie-ins, like they do like little vignettes on different characters. And like there was one on Liz this week. It was weird. Hmm. The continuity was bad in some places, but really good in other places. Like, they remembered she was a nurse, but I digress. 
Nice. Well, uh, Spider-Man tries to break his fall by webbing the walls on either side of him, but Lizard uh, races down the wall and swipes the webbing with his tail, breaking it, leaving Spider-Man in free fall. He throws some webs down on a cushion below him, but he still lands pretty hard, wounding his shoulder pretty badly in the process. A doctor in the crowd comes and tapes him up some, first ripping off one of his sleeves to examine him. He tells Spidey to go to the hospital, but Spider-Man, of course, swings off instead. He goes to Mrs. Connor's apartment and tells her about the lizard and then goes home. Oh, no, no, no. You know what he says about the lizard? He's committed no crime yet. As far as I know. What about the jewel thief? What about assault? What about public, you know, destruction of public property? (laughs) Like, I mean, that big hole, it's... (laughs) Josh, I think there's some men at the door that want to see you. I think his name is Stanley, and they they have blackjacks in their hands. You better keep quiet. So... The phone rings while he's at home, and it's Aunt May. And then Mary Jane calls, and Peter has to turn her down for a date, because if anyone sees Peter has a hurt arm, and if they know that Spider-Man has a hurt arm, they'll know that Peter Parker is, of course, Spider-Man. If their names were Silver Age, Lana, and Lois Lane, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So just to recap where we're leaving the cliffhanger here, I'm going to read Peter Parker's voiced-out-loud thoughts on the last panel here. What happens next? I'm afraid to be seen with my arm this way, but I can't stay hidden in the house for days. Mary Jane must be writing me off by now, and left my camera behind where someone may find it. I'm further than ever from the extra money I need for Aunt May, or from helping Doc Connors and his family, and to top it all off, the lizard is still at large, capable of anything, while I sit here, helpless. What's wrong with me? Why do things work out this way? When will I come to my senses and stop bucking fate and give up being Spider-Man forever? Issue In about six issues. <laughs> <laughs> Don't despair, Spidey fan. There's more next ish. It's a bombshell. A oh, bombshell's premiering next issue? I didn't realize that. Oh, yeah. It's, it's a very early appearance. So, um, despite being pretty tightly packed in the uh, paneling, there, there's, there's some plot, but there's not as much plot as you might expect. It's very straightforward, actually. And more than I actually, more than I typically realized upon re- first reading it. I mean, I. I think I think it's all right, but like like um, it's very very linear. I think there's plot. I mean, it has the ESU gang, you know, and a thing by MJ, Aunt May stuff, you know, villain appearance, you know, angst with the family, Spider-Man getting framed again. You got some Jonah stuff. It's setting up for the for future stuff with Foswell. Yeah, it's really really wordy. I think it's more wordy in the scenes than it that necessarily needed to be, but um. But I, I did enjoy it. I'm not downing it. I'm just feeling like right, right. trying to think about what all happened in the issue, and it's not as much as I expected would have happened in the issue. I don't know why I feel that way. Maybe I'm coming at it the wrong direction. It seems uh, to me that like the first half of the issue was Peter Parker, and the second half is Spider-Man. There was there was very little in between. There's very little switching, I think. But maybe I'm maybe I'm that's not correct. I mean, so, I know it shows up at the very beginning, but maybe a little later on. Little Miss Walking Retcon, Mary Jane. You know, we have hindsight now. Did she know that Spider-Man broke her his arm? And did she decide to, like, you know, you know, play around a little bit? Like, see if Peter would, like, see if she'd call Peter for a date and if he would show up with a broken arm? You know, Peter is worried that a lot of people know that Spider-Man has a wounded arm uh, in that at the end of the story. But I don't know how it would become public knowledge yet. Radio much, news reports? Uh, yes, sir. So. I mean, p- people do know of the next issue. But the, 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 there was a pretty big crowd out there. I think the next issue is a couple of days later. You're right. She could have known. And if she did, then she's just razzing him. Yeah, like, 
Well, like, you know, she she knows that he's Spider-Man, but, like, you know, maybe, like, she's only, like, 95% sure, so she's like, let's see if I, you know, if I call him and say, come here, you know, will he have a broken arm? Or I don't think there's any 95% sure about it. She saw him crawl out of the window. That could have been Aunt May, you know. Yeah. Could have been Aunt May. <laughs> or Uncle, Uncle Ben faked his death because he's Spider-Man. There's right. only one person that can avenge my presumed death. Well, like she says, you know, I, can, I know you're there, Tiger. I can still hear you breathing. So that's her subtle hint that she knows he was in a fight and he got injured. Which I guess if that was if that's true, that's rather mean. But that's neither here. Well, early Mary Jane had some character flaws. Actually, speaking of Mary Jane and retcons, um, Spider-Man Blue, which I normally don't use that for canon. For a I, lot was, of I was about to mark yeah. on that. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, like. Peter talks about how he purposely had Mary Jane meet him at the Silver Spoon so he can show her off, like, you know, all these years of, like, Flash and everyone making fun of him. Like, he basically gets to show off this hot girl to them. I kind of like that, though. I, I, I mean, do, too. I, yeah. I think it's the sort of thing that this Mary Jane would go with, too. I mean, she doesn't mind being eye candy. She, she's, you know, she's a fun lover. So she, she's going to come in and Peter's her new boy toy for the next, you know, half an issue after this. I actually prefer the Spider-Man Blue version of like the the Silver Spoon scene to the original, just because I don't know it's it's a lot more. It's basically the same scene, the same stuff goes on, like you know with Gwen being jealous and everything, and like Flash and Harry, like who was that? It's literally the same scene, but like the way it's told is a lot sleeker. There's there's a lot more nuance. Yeah, I, su- I suppose. I mean, like, I mean, like it, I haven't it, read it, so I'm going off. It's y'all. definitely a modernization. Like if you were to take it, like it's a bit, it's the same thing with modern dialogue ish. But um, I, I don't know. I, I prefer that. I, I think it's probably because of the Tim Sale art. It's it's really cool. Flash doesn't remember meeting Mary Jane from issue twenty five. Well, he didn't meet her. He just stared at her. But you know, she was heavily disguised, and it was a while ago. So all he saw was that big flower. Well, who was <laughs> right. that? She walked out with the flower on her face. <laughs> <laughs> so Peter and Aunt May are talking about how they gave up their last $30 for the plane ticket, and he promises her that he's going to get double that money when he sells some photos to Jonah. So are we going to go with him getting $60 for news photos? Is that all? I'm trying to think. Didn't he, didn't he charge like 100 picks each, 100 bucks each for his pictures in like issue 33? That sounds well, familiar. It, it, I guess it depends on like how good the photos are. Like a photo of Spider-Man like stopping a carjacking is different than like the capture of the Master Planner gang. True, true. Well, he also went to the Jonah and says, you know, hey, what, what if the lizard's real again? And, and I get pictures of him. I, like, well, that I, I think he's sort of like haggling, like you know, the type of pictures he'll get and hoping for this a certain amount of paycheck. I guess we talked. We did talk about if you were if you become a giant lizard once, your wife will always worry about it happening again, no matter what you're doing. Even when well, like. In the context of the story, it's been a while since it's happened. She has no reason, like, for that to be like her absolute thirst thought. Like, there's no foreshadowing, like, as far as she's concerned. Females intuition. Well, also, now, like, like you t- you talked earlier about like how people just assume the absolute correct. And he says the only reason must be because I was handling some of the same potions and sn- s- inhaled them. That must be why we turned to the lizard again. And it's like you know that's the only that's that's all we get. So we have to go on that. That is one thing about comics that happens a lot that's kind of annoying. They make an assumption that fits the facts, and then they act on that assumption like it's proven to be true. Exactly. That's That happens a lot. But it, I guess it's kind of one of those things with the medium. You have to get through your plot by explaining things pretty quickly. Publishing-wise, this is the second time he's turned into the lizard. There was another time in Untold Tales. Issue number nine. Yeah, with, uh, with Batwing. Oh, so, yeah. And there's... 
there's really nothing in here that contradicts it. In fact, like when he talks about like the first encounter with the lizard, he says first encounter instead of last time. Like last time I fought him, like he just speaks of first encounter. But you know that all gets bunked next issue where like Kirk Connor says, "You've saved me from being the lizard twice now." So uh, okay, nice Kirk try, Kirk Busick. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> I appreciate the effort. A for effort or E for effort, if you like. You know, what, what's a bat wing? That one was a was a. It, it's kind of like a lizard situation. It was this little kid, and he got transformed into a bat, and he he had a like he had to kind of be a scavenger, and he was one of those like misunderstood monsters that Spider Man was trying to cure, and um, he wanted to be changed back to human. And at the end of the series, he got changed back. Right. So he was a creation for Untold Tales. Yeah, 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 yeah. Was, they, they they had like along with the classic villains, they had, they had like a number of um creative villains that you never saw again like him uh those those like those those that that group of so so-called superheroes scorcher headsmen spacemen no like uh in, in the batwing issue like i don't have it in front of me but from what i remember it was like really contrived like kurt connors is trying to cure batwing and batwing gets mad and like knocks over chemicals and then kurt's like no those are the chemicals that changed me into the lizard i actually i remember that very well it's like really like this is like this happens so often. Like at this point, it's only the second time it's happened, but it it happens so often. Like you know, put those chemicals away. Like stop, just stop it. Well, you know, <laughs> that leads to something that I, w- I like to ask. Like, what exactly turns them into the lizard? Because it is very consistent. Originally, it was a serum. In the animated series, I think it was like every time he got agitated, even though he was cured. And this one, they explained like, oh, he was messing with the same formula and he got into a system again. Like, well, like, like, is it a whole later thing? On in the- Later on, they make it agitation in the book, too. And, and I have a simple answer for you. What turns it into lizard? Plot. Well, <laughs> I think, yeah, once it happens and then he heals it, and then 30 issues later, 40 issues later, it happens again. And from then on, it's just, you know, anything can cause it to happen. It's, it's in his blood. It's in his system. It can, it can emerge at any time. It just needs some sort of trigger, and there can be a variety of possible triggers. I remember, like in like the 30th anniversary Amazing issue in the 90s, he cures himself, but you know that doesn't last over a decade. Um, and when Spider-Man meets him, this issue, he says, "You can talk." We're doing that again. Yeah, shed, shed, shed. We will not forgive you. No, we won't. Because like he, he, he doesn't shut up in these two issues. Well, the fact that he had an unwritten appearance. Um, makes one of the things he says more make more sense on page three the the fourth panel which is the first like long panel he says they don't realize i'm trying to save their lives i'm turning into the lizard faster than ever now which just based on what's been published that's faster than the one time before exactly yep exactly the way the way you're saying it all right but with the retcons and the fill in the gap stories saying faster than ever as this being the third time it makes that make more sense well, it's just, it's just funny the way these people talk. Like the dialogue, I've missed it so. Like, like in the first page, this is this is a, a Silver Age Superman thing because like all the Superman covers would have like exposition being uh, recited while, while like no, no matter what the person's expression is. So at first, like the the picture, the image you see of Kirk Connors, he's sweating, he's hunched over, he's he's looking at his lizard changing hand. But the first thing he thinks is. Martha's train should be arriving from Florida any minute now. I can't wait to see her. And little Billy again. He must be... Wait! My hand is turning green, getting scaly like a lizard's. It's just... I love that, like, 
that like sudden change in expression, no matter what he's actually looking like. Yeah, yeah. Let's Spider-Man see. leaving Martha Connors because he says he can't bear to hear a woman cry. Have fun dating Gwen Stacy. <laughs> That's why he broke up with Betty. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he broke up with yeah, but I mean, as psycho as Betty is, I think that Gwen, you know, like cried more times than Betty. We should have been having a pussy without count. If we had had one, it would have been incremental on page five. Right when he's saying goodbye to Aunt May, she tells him to be a real pussy willow until I get back. And Peter's still correcting her at this point. He hasn't given up on correcting her yet. Aunt May's a real G, no doubt. (laughs) Oh, no. Trapped in the closet references. I I knew that it was only a matter of time. (laughs) As I I give the pound to John and Josh. Um, he paints his cycle because Mary Jane tells him to. Like she is just like messing with him. Like <laughs> we're really, we're really, we're really sawing to, to get to that silver spoon scene, are we? Uh, let me just put on a, one other thing uh, before we get there. There's a phone booth reference. Finding the nearest phone booth occupied. Our hero makes a quick change by the rafters. It, I, I was really surprised to learn this in recent months, or maybe it's been a year now, but Superman changing in the phone booth is one of those cultural visual icons that never really happened very much. And I just always think that it's really strange now every time I see it mentioned, because I don't... Those, it's, so, it's so iconic, but he never does it. It's, yeah, he does I think it. it's because when it did happen, it, it happened in like you know other media that everyone saw. Right, it did it in those Fleischer cartoons. And those Fleischer cartoons were watched by an entire generation of children in the 1940s who grew up in the night, you know, to become the people of the 1960s. And it's just like, it's kind of crazy because in the comics, he never did throughout the entire golden age up until 1955, where I've gotten, he has changed in the phone booth exactly once. It's funny because uh, my brother and I watched Superman two earlier this week. And like, you know, on Superman two, we watched the lesser cut where they have like the flashbacks of the original movie and they show that they show like him approaching a phone booth with an open phone booth. And my brother like, Oh, that's kind of cool. Cause he's not seen it in a while. Right. Yeah. The, but, but that, that, that callback in that movie is a callback to something that's only happened like, like, very few, very rarely. Page nine with uh, the Daily Bugle. This is going to start a, a plot with Fred Foswell wanting to learn more about Peter. That I think this is going to take us all the way into the Kingpin story. If yeah, I, this, my memory serves um, the beginning of the end for him. <laughs> well, no, because I I think that like within the next few issues the plot like ends because Peter you know spoiler alert uses a dummy and Foswell's like huh oh well I guess not okay. I, I think I think he just talks about it a little bit and then it goes nowhere. Well, I think okay. that like after, after that is when he starts to – I think because we're in the mid-40s and Kingpin's like right in the beginning of the 50s, like 51. So I think that like after he says, okay, I guess he's not Spider-Man, he starts thinking about, well, what was it, what, what did I do last time I was around here? Oh, yeah, I was I was leading the crime the crime mobs. I wonder if I can do that again. So he, he started like this – is, this is the last time he'll have a, a, a non-crime-related thought process. In any case, it's giving him something to do to bring attention to the character, to keep him in your awareness until they finish up his story in, in eight issues from now. He's not been around too much since Romita came on the book. Well, Romita's only Romita did the um, the Goblin story, and basically nothing else happened during those two issues except Goblin stuff. Um, well, that's not entirely true, but you know what I mean. And then he did Rhino and Mary Jane and J. Jonah Jameson. Um, or John Jameson going crazy. I guess there were opportunities for Fred Foswell to do stuff in there, but he didn't really do anything. Right, right. Foswell is, well, 
kind of miss Fossil. I mean, it's it's interesting because like thinking about they've had different characters like fill that void as like the bugle reporter who's used for like you know the move the story along. Like you know they've used Ned Leeds and Ben Urich and Lance Bannon, and, right? Well, Lance Bannon was a photographer, like you know not really a reporter, but Nick yeah, Kassenberg. I guess that too, right? But, like, Foswell, he was interesting because he had the alias of the patch and he had the underworld connections. Yeah, which, you could legitimately make, make – like, like, like based on his premise, you could, you could really make a comic about Foswell, Foswell in and of himself. Just, you know, an old crime EC uh, reporting comic. Where do you see how he got the name The Big Man? Ugh, oh, another judgment cause it. I'll give you a clue. It's because he used to be 300 pounds. Oh, if your third thought was a sexual joke, shame on you. <laughs> no, I, I thought you were going to say it's because he's blessed. Oh, I wasn't even thinking of gag yeah, and trapped on the closet reference too. Um, so Betty Brand and Ned Leeds announced their engagement last issue to 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 Foswell, but this is like Peter's first reaction to it. So I imagine though that like Betty's thought balloons are something like the end of issue nineteen, where like. Everyone's happy, and it's a rational conversation for all intents and purposes with, like, Peter being introduced to Ned. But then when Peter walks away, Betty's thinking, oh, my gosh, have I lost him forever? <laughs> I think she's, like, doing the same thing here. Like, oh, Peter, we want, we want you at our wedding. Bye, Peter. And then she's thinking, he looks so happy, so carefree. Could I have lost him forever if I gave him engaged? <laughs> oh, and then say hello to your Aunt May for me. Yeah, I'd love to hear, you know, Aunt May's reaction to that. Betty says hi. <laughs> they like stuff. <laughs> Oh, it would have been perfectly genteel to Peter's face, but inside she's plotting. Yeah. What were you doing talking to Betty? Aren't you supposed <laughs> to be out with Mary Jane? <laughs> what Look at me. Boy? Look at me. Oh, oh and, and we absolutely want you at our wedding. Like, apparently, you know, Ned, Ned's not aware of this as of next issue. But, yeah, I wonder how he feels about that. <laughs> yeah, because next issue she's like, we have to invite Peter Parker. <laughs> He's the only person that we know. <laughs> Besides Jameson. And Foswell. We know nobody else. Around our around our age group, at least. <laughs> so then uh, Jonah Jameson pulls out the, the cop from last issue who helped Spider-Man. Now he wants to do a profile, like dig up dirt on him to, you know, show how I, I'm guessing to show how evil a person he is if he must be helping Spider-Man. Which I thought was delightfully evil of Jonah, and pretty clever on Stan's part, too. I I interpreted it as, like, you know, spotlight this heroic cop. Oh. (laughs) Okay, I guess I took it the exact opposite direction from what you took it. Well, look look, look at his face. He doesn't doesn't look very positive either way. In fact, Jonah looks kind of crazy in a lot of these shots. He he has has this wall-eyed look, and he looks very out there. He looks good though, but he looks insane. Mildly so, insane. In the, in the Rhino issue, we got like uh, Ramita redrawing Amazing Spider-Man one. Now we have Ramita redrawing Amazing Spider-Man number six. So that's cool. I mean, he doesn't like look at the lizard and think that guy's the real American hero. <laughs> like he did with John. <laughs> okay, Silver Spoon. First time we've ever been here. What are we going to do with it? Ding ding ding. ding, ding. <laughs> well. <laughs> I'm just going to come out and say it. Um, Gwen is sitting with Flash. I mean, I guess, you know, and we've talked about the diamond on the table. He, he's not, they're not sitting like side by side to each other with his arm around her as I thought it was. Although looking at that panel, it certainly looks like that may be the case. But I can see, yeah, she's on the other side. But the 
She scoots over, makes a spot for Peter, and Flash immediately like goes on the defensive and starts insulting Peter as a result. Because he knows that he's got another Liz Allen on his hand here. And Peter does note that, you know, why is Gwen jealous? Could it be because MJ's into me, or could it be because Flash is into Mary Jane? Hmm. But, uh, you know, why would Peter think that, you know, Gwen would care about what Flash had to say about Mary Jane? Well, he's he's hypothesizing. And Flash is trying to get pretty cozy with Gwen in that last panel. I mean, Gwen's not having any of it because she's in one of her moods. I can just imagine Spectacular Spider-Man, Gwen, doing this scene, by the way. Yeah, yeah, really, with with her glasses and everything. Well, I... My favorite you know part of this saying. whole of this whole scene is that last interchange between her and Flash, as Flash is kind of cozying over to her. She's like, "Flash, do me a favor. Sure, baby. Name it. Stop breathing on me. Get out of my space." Fatuous. <laughs> <laughs> right. I like um, Marvel Saga. They do like a reprint of like Mary Jane, like in Peter's history. And when they do the page where Mary Jane goes to the table, the like Marvel editor's note says Mary Jane winds up dating every guy at this table. (laughs) (laughs) What are they implying? Mary Jane's not exactly a strict girl when it comes to um, her love policies. That's a nice way of saying she's a little bit of a loose goose. goose. Well, Don, what do you have to uh, say? <laughs> Nothing but was on the panel, my friend. I mean, yeah, they're sitting all together, but you know, Gwen roll always rolls with Harry and Flash, not just Flash. So right. just Flash, like in next issue where Flash goes off to meet her. Whatever. So, or or like or like the other issue where she went off with Harry. So and like when she went off with Harry, what did Peter say? I forget. <laughs> Harry goes off with your gal. Right, I, I, he, he wasn't your there. gal. Whatever on earth gave you that idea? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. So my, my, the, let, me, let me let me make the case. Like like you know, okay, they're all they're all there together, but you know they're that that's the way they roll. They just start there together. There's nothing to insinuate that they're like like if anything would, in my opinion, if they were together, there would there would be more evidence with everybody there, but you know. Since there what, evidence, been... what more evidence would you like? Because we, we, we've shown you evidence in the past. Like, well, here Peter says, you know, Gwen certainly froze up. I wonder if she's jealous. But if she is, is it because of me or because Flash made such a fuss over MJ? Now, regardless of if they're dating or not, you know, Gwen, even if she's dating Flash, she can care less about, you know, what girl Flash looks at because her eyes are on Peter. But why would Peter think that she gives two licks about who Flash looks at? Because he's starting to come around and, and like, start liking her, so he's wondering like like why is she is she upset over me or, or is she upset over Flash? It's sort of why, a guy thing to think. Flash. Could it be because she flirted with Flash when she met him in issue thirty one? Could it be because she was called Flash's gal uh, two issues ago? Could it be because her and Flash go out for a cup of coffee next issue? Could it be because in issue forty seven? <laughs> Shut guy- up, <laughs> dude. I'm not saying that they were engaged or that they were in, like, a deep committed relationship, but they went out on some dates. And people talked about the fact that they went out on dates. What you're saying is that they were dating, they were a couple. No, no, no. Here's what's going on here. Have y'all seen Scott Pilgrim vs. the World? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So he and color-haired girl, uh, Ramona, they have a date. You know, where he doesn't even realize it's a date. They're just walking through the snow talking about their life stories. And at the end, she says it was a lousy date. And he's like, oh, this was a date. 
the next very next time they meet, they're on the bus and she says something about if we're going to keep dating, you're going to have to fight my seven evil exes. He's like, so what you're saying is we're dating. And so it doesn't take a whole lot of pseudo romantic interaction to label a couple as dating. And, 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 and yeah, Gwen and Flash were dating. Yeah, all right, all right. All right. To all give right. you an example that you can get behind, I consider it akin to Flash and Felicia's dating in the animated series, which, you know, even though Felicia got mad when Flash said, you're a gal, they were obviously dating. Like, in the, you know, and when Harry sees them together, like, naturally, you were with me. Like, you know, like, she, she wasn't committed to him, and, you know, she would, you know, throw him aside for Peter or Morbius or whoever else would come along, but, you know... She and Flash were dating. Here's what I think. Here's what I think. Here's what I think. That it was all just a big joke. (laughs) Took the words right out of my mouth. No, I I think that hypothetically, Gwen and Flash uh, went on a date. Flash never showed up about it. He never showed up about it to Harry. And they never showed about it to their classmates. So that's where this whole idea, oh, Gwen, who's going to take him now that Flash is gone? You know, oh, you're you're gal, Flash. Because... Every every single time you see Gwen in these in this stuff, she's all all her eyes are on Peter, and it's not just and it's not just like a, a Liz thing where she's dating Flash, but there's no other indication that there's no like you know okay, why why is Flash's girl you know going for me or, or why does Gwen going for me when she's with Flash like there's none of that, there's there's always like either sarcastic innuendos from the classmates or there's very or there's very extraneous uh, evidence to where she's either going with Flash or she's either going with Harry. So I would definitely agree that whatever their level of attachment was, Flash made more of it than Gwen did. Oh, that, that, that much is obvious. But I would say that it's definitely more than one date because even as of next issue, Flash is meeting her for coffee. Well, I, I, I actually I, – I'll concede to that, but I, I, was going, I was going at this point in time. Maybe we can Go even ahead. say that Gwen was not interested in Flash at all, but she was willing to concede to take to letting Flash take her out a few times. That yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't, I do not buy Gwen Stacy like like dating somebody she didn't like just for no reason. I mean, like, well, I mean, not for no reason, but to keep the friendship from you know. Well, being she on. does like him, you know, because to her this is a nice guy. Like you know, like because she goes to him for her problems in the run, and like she legitimately tries to be his friend. Like you right. know, so she sees, but like. When he gets to be like you know big shot flash like he is here, she she doesn't want to hear it like you know and she's very very what I hypothesized when I wrote the Gwen articles a while ago is that like she was growing very very frustrated with him as as a person like as you can see in that last panel. I I will not deny that, but I think that it was yeah as frustrated with him as a as a person and not so much as a uh, potential love interest or or boyfriend. Well, and that's why it never went, you know, any farther than it did. That's why she had, I mean, and I will give you this, that's why, you know, when he went away, she had no qualms taking another guy to his going away party. I think we've had enough discussion we can table it until the next uh, next occurrence sparks it Table again. it on a silver spoon table. <laughs> but, I mean, Don, Don said it. He said that they, you know, went out on a date or two. Well, he said date, but I, I, I can see that it was multiple dates. I will not, just to keep the blood from running. Okay, <laughs> you you go you go for that because they'll. <laughs> so if we move on to the scene with the lizard emerging from the sewers, he reminds us that his plan, his ultimate goal in life, is to uh, populate the earth with giant lizards. Which giant lizards is he talking about here? Is he is he going for the dinosaurs, 
or uh, does he mean like um, alligators and crocodiles and such? Or is he going to take all the lizards that are there now and make them bigger? There's an episode of the 90s show that you really need to see. That I, I, I was just thinking that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh my God. He washes some of his lizard serum down the drain and it affects some sewer. And like they basically grow like into lizards like his size and they form an underground society and they make Kirk Connors their king. It's not just, just as shit as it is. Well, also, like, like is, is, well, hey, <laughs> it's, a, it's a ripoff of the, of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, basically. I think that's what he's, what he's trying to get at. He's wanting to create the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles to take over New York. <laughs> in fedoras <laughs> and French coats. <laughs> yeah, Kawabunga, Connors, dude. <laughs> There's a fan fic that's waiting to happen. <laughs> I don't really have much anything else to say until towards the end of the story. What do y'all have? Like I said, Mary Jane, you know, saying, oh, you should paint your cycle. And, of course, he goes and does it. God, the guy's whipped. Yeah. Um, although he can't really paint it because he can't concentrate on the painting. And he gets his arm injured at the end of this story, so he can't really do much of anything. But next issue, the cycle's painted. He knows there's no web shooters on, on, his, on his injured arm. Or if they removed it, you don't, you don't see it anywhere. I'm guessing they removed it because it was there. And they didn't show us tearing off his sleeve either. Of course, because it doesn't like, really matter because his sleeve is magically back again next issue. Miles well, Warren painted it for him. Well, he probably sewed it or, or got enough spare costume. Yeah, sewing one-handed has got to be a bitch. Because the lizard snouts like, grow throughout these two issues. Like oh, when, he, when he first appears in this issue, he looks just like the Ditko lizard. But like by the end of the next issue, it looks more like the modern lizard with his, like, his like, crocodile mouth, cro- crocodile beak or whatever. Right, right. Like by the end, like, by the, the, in that last panel, in this last page... It looks a little bigger than what it was originally in the issue. He just, I think maybe the situation for Romita uh, getting a feel for the character as he goes and not necessarily realizing he's changing it, but just getting it more in his head of what the character should look like as opposed to copying Ditko's rendition. Yeah, well, he says, you know, you can definitely see him trying to copy Ditko with, at the beginning. But at the not, beginning, not right. The not the end. Right. As, as time goes on, he's getting more of his own mental interpretation of it. Right. Um, has there been a major injury since the vulture dropped him and he claimed it was a volleyball accident? Was it the same arm? Um, I'm too lazy to check. Yeah, but I'm not. Uh, oh, with a flick of the wrist, I grabbed the other essential. Is that <laughs> what issue was that? Uh, seven. seven, I want to say. We're going to make uh, Don get a vulture issue. I love it. <laughs> yeah, it wounds me so. Uh, in that issue, he was his, his uh, right arm was in a sling. This is his left arm. Okay, so that's good. But that was the last time, wasn't it, that he did an, uh, an injury that, you know, was more that than... It crippled him, yeah, because like, he was pretty bad. He was hurt pretty bad in the Master Planner arc, but he wasn't, like, injured. Right. Nothing that affected his personal life, anyway. Um. Well, it made his ex-girlfriend away screaming. Oh, that's right. Because he has injuries that she didn't inflict. <laughs> oh... Yeah, that's, that's rather cool. Page 20, where he's talking about how he has to hide his arm from the world. I can see the logic of hiding himself from the world because of his arm. But at the same time, there are millions of people in New York, probably hundreds of which have hurt arms right now. So I'm kind of glad that rationality prevails next issue, because it's kind of stupid. The first time rationality prevails. I know. It's, it's Peter Parker paranoia. But at the same time, if this was Silver Age DC, like this would be the type of thing that Lois and Lana 
Like, if they would have seen Clark Kent come in with, like, some sort of injury or Scarlet Superman had, they would have, like, used it for their Superman hypothesis. And Clark would have had to prove that he, or, like, either hide the injury, not that Superman gets injured, or, like... Or injure a robot. Yeah. Right. Or, yeah, or get a robot. What else do we have on this story? In performing school, um, like, it's a one-off hand reference, and, like, I, I wondered about that. Like, what's her status at this point? I mean, via retcons, we know that she's, like, fresh to New York, and she's, like, living in a dorm, going on modeling gigs. So. Alrighty. Our house ad this month for more Marvel masterpieces now on sale shows us Marvel Tales number 6, which reprints The Man Called Electro from Amazing Spider-Man 9. And I just want to say again that of all the origins we've seen so far, (laughs) a man crawling up a telephone pole and getting zapped by lightning is the only thing that could actually happen. (laughs) <laughs> Don't forget about uh, just a guy named Joe falling into chemicals. Oh yeah, falling into oh, no. chemicals on a, on a movie set that could oh, no. actually look happen. out. You're going near the special chemicals. That <laughs> <laughs> just, just happened to be here for convenience of plot. And uh, of course, we discussed that issue back in uh, with the Jeffrey Taylor. That was like a whole flipping year ago. We need to have him back. Jeffrey, come back on the show. It also reprints a Human Torch story from Strange Tales, a Wasp story from Tales to Astonish, and a Thor story from Journey into Mystery. There is also Fantasy Masterpieces number six, reprinting three, count them three, Golden Age Captain America stories, which you can hear discussed in delightful detail on The Mighty Shield, a Captain America podcast at www.themightyshield.com. There are also a few of the usual not-really-Golden-Age stories, because they were actually published in the early 60s, but they called them Golden Age anyway, which is kind of weird. And finally, the X-Men 27 is showcased in this ad, which uh, might have been a more successful advertisement if they mentioned that Spider-Man appeared in the book. Uh, We'll talk about that in a minute, though. Well, to to be fair, would you really advertise that Spider-Man was in the book if it was just four panels? Because, like, some kid's going to spend their last 12 cents on it. Well, you know what? Avengers number 11 said it co-starred Spider-Man, and Spider-Man was just a robot, so... Lies. Lies and falsehoods. (laughs) The robot. There are more ads for selling grit and for high-powered binoculars, but one ad I wanted to mention was a send-off for the entire Tarzan series by Edgar Rice Burroughs. All 24 volumes, some of which had been out of print for years before this. My dad had this collection, and I read several of them as a kid. Then I got the books from him whenever he died. I keep telling myself I'm going to go back and read all of them, but I haven't yet. Have y'all read any Tarzan or the John Carter of Mars series? No. No. I'm sorry. I just, I, I just can't. I, I, Tarzan. I. It's I okay because there's some really bad racism in the first one. Uh, oh, good. <laughs> no, no reason not to read it. Burroughs' characterization of African natives is pretty terrible, actually. What's the name? Gargantuan from the... Yeah, Gargantua Teapots from the stupid (laughs) Tex Thompson series. And I like Tex Thompson as a thing, but uh, but yeah, that's pretty outrageous. This is a reference to Action Comics backup stories that we talked about on Golden Age Superman. Oh, yes. I just heard that episode. Yes. Yeah, uh, Donovan Grant uh, co-hosted with me over on episode number... 18, I think. 18, yeah. Or 19? Which one? Was it 19? I believe it was 18. Yeah, you're right. You're right. It was 18. Sorry. 
the bullpen bulletins has pulse-pounding pronouncements, passionately philosophical, preposterously profound, and particularly prepared for permanent oblivion. But it doesn't really say anything about Spider-Man. Oh, God. That's, that's like an like alliteration orgasm. <laughs> there is an ad for the Marvel Superheroes cartoon show, which, if you haven't heard, is coming to Netflix later this year. So if you haven't ever seen this, just wait. Because the vast majority of Marvel's animated catalog is slated to be released to Netflix streaming over the course of 2011. And there's also an ad for Marvel clothes and stationery. And over on the Spider's Web, the letters are all pretty positive about John Romita's art, especially his depiction of the female figure Mm. and the changes that have been going through Peter Parker's life. There's one letter that I wanted to read, but did y'all have anything on the letters column that you saw? A few sentences from Dwight Dwight Decker. He says... I suggest you keep Pete away from Gwen. She's a beast of prey. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't last. And it would be cool if MJ had some spider sort of superpowers of her own. Does that ever happen? Does Mary Jane ever get spider powers? I, I said super. I said uh, it's supposed to say superpowers, not spider powers. Um, okay. Well, folks, on Spider Island this summer, you can see Mary Jane and the entire population of New York <laughs> get Spider-Man powers. Oh, that's um, right. In, well, she did get water powers in the animated series, but then she died. So, <laughs> But it wasn't really her, so it's okay. And you can and read Spider- more about my review on that episode at, at SpidermanCallSpace.com. In modern continuity, like 616, no superpower. I mean, she was given the, wasn't she given the power cosmic for like five minutes in a one-shot? In fact, I want to say that she was, but like it's almost like, like a 90s even, thing. No, it was a few years ago. It was pre one more day. Uh, Over oh, Ultimate, she became they... Demogoblin. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yes, she did. Wow. But yeah. Luckily, they have never they've never done an arc where Mary Jane was superpowered, which is probably a good thing. Uh, the letter that I saw that I thought was Ultimate pretty... Peter dated Carnage and Demogoblin. Oh wow! What a play student. Well, he, Kitty Fry, like you say, muted. Like that's like the most normal of the three. <laughs> <laughs> Alan Almasi writes in a letter. He says, "Dear Stan and John, did you ever sit down after reading an issue of Spider-Man and wonder what a Spidey mag would be like if it were not produced by Marvel? Well, I'll tell you. First of all, Uncle Ben would still be alive. Peter would never have age, and he'd still be in high school, like forever. He'd have lots of loyal sidekicks and possibly a pet called Spidey Dog or some such." His dialogue would be exactly the same as every other costumed hero, and he'd fight alien invaders and bug-eyed monsters. Issue two. (laughs) (laughs) JJJ would be very fond of him because everyone loves a superhero, and he'd probably belong to a crime-fighting group of some sort. (laughs) Right now. Yeah, like now, Mr. New Avenger. The Parkers would never have any money problems, and Aunt May would never be ill. Like now? Right. <laughs> You're killing me, Josh. <laughs> I'm merely speaking the truth. <laughs> there would be a new story in each issue so that they could print any story they want to, anytime they want to, in any order, instead of having a thread of continuity, which makes lots more thought and hard work. Um, like Wait, right I, after one more day? I, I, I don't see it. There'd be a new story in each issue as opposed to. I, I don't. I don't get what he's saying there. As standalone, to, standalone stories in each issue that really don't have any sort of order to them. Okay, got it. Instead of having a thread of continuity, which takes a lot more thought and hard work, but allows room for a sophisticated, well-rounded plot. 
the script and art would be less than sensational and there'd be far less action. And that's why we're lucky that Spidey is produced by Mary Marvel Mad Men. Um, hey, I, Moss, I, I, like, I like Silver Age Batman, so leave him alone. <laughs> Oh yeah, with, with all of its you know goodness of Bat Baby and the Rainbow Zebra Batman, yeah, completely different animals. Um, and, Ka- sure. and Kathy Kane. I'd be curious, Alan, to know if you ever got any uh, love for Silver Age DC as the years went by. I just recently friended him on Facebook, so I'm hoping that we can have a conversation. Uh, wait, 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 wait! You friended the person that wrote this letter on Facebook? I sure as hell did. God. <laughs> <laughs> And I invited him to listen to the show. So, Alan, if you're out there, uh, drop me a line. Let me know what you think of the show, and and we should talk some more about Spider-Man if you still care. And are you disappointed with the fact that like the Aunt May's married to a rich guy, and they don't have money problems, and Peter's a part of super teams, and <laughs> he he has loyal sidekicks. Well, I don't know if you call Black Hat loyal. She sold his blood and abandoned him in Kingpin's Tower, but but I would consider she, Aranya to be a Spider Family character. I spent did on did you see Josh? She's advertised like she, he he describes her as a psychic in that backup story. Yeah, I think, which is well, weird. she's she's basically like a psychic, just not like a full time sidekick. Uh, it's always like uh, uh, we'll, we'll get into it later. Like, Jean uh, Grey was a full time psychic. I thought she was a partner. So, uh, uh, all right, psychic, not sidekick. Anyways, uh, uh, what a dark uh, phoenix you hom- are! Damn you and your homonyms. <laughs> Uh, Stan replies, Al, baby, we suspect you're trying to tell us something. Naturally, we haven't any idea whom you're referring to, but we got a big kick out of your merry missive nonetheless. And Stan you, wrote that. Yeah, exactly. You don't have to worry about offending the various brand X. Each one of them will think you mean the other guy. So uh, let's see. The last item in this book I wanted to mention, well, besides the second chance for high school dropouts to get diplomas and the home science lab and course is on the back cover where we find superhero model kits from Aurora Hobby Kits. And these are actually still available, believe it or not. I found the Spidey one online for $30. Which is, you know, quite the markup from ninety-eight cents price sticker we see here. But still, you, this this Spider-Man webbing Craven collapse on the ground. You can actually still buy this online. Well, right, even. And that wraps up Amazing Spider-Man forty-four. But before we take a break, I want to mention one other Spider-Man story that came out this month. The X-Men twenty-seven was released at the same time as Amazing Spider-Man forty-four. And without going into a whole lot of detail, here's the deal. The angel has been wounded, and he has to rest up for a while so his muscles that move his wings can heal up. Problem is, Xavier has detected a new mutant menace. And with Jean Grey also off the team, because she's out at college, the X-Men are pretty slim right now. With that being the situation, the Beast and Iceman are out and about when they see a bank being robbed. By the time they duck out, change to costumes, and duck back, though, Spider-Man has already webbed up the crooks. Xavier telepathically prompts them to ask Spider-Man to join up with them, which they reluctantly do. But Spider-Man turns them down. The tryouts with the Avengers have left a bad taste in his mouth for working on teams, and Spidey swings off, leaving them with not the best personal impressions of him. What did y'all think about this scene? Most natural reaction ever. After what happened with me and the Avengers? Screw that. If Spider-Man would have agreed to join him, they would have brought him back to the X-Mansion. They would have argued for a little bit. Then they would have said, oh, I know. You should bring Magneto and arrest him and bring him like to trial before the world's courts. Yeah, if you do that, we'll let you join the X-Men. 
I, I go, I go wait, 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 he's a mutant too. Uh, he'll, he'll learn that out later. <laughs> wait, we forgot to tell him. <laughs> he'll, be in, he'll be on the X-Men by the end of Spider Island. <laughs> no, I'm an X-Men Avenger and Fantastic. Wasn't he, wasn't he an X-Men like earlier in the year? Yeah, uh, did y'all read those X-Men issues? Because he was in the book for a while. What? And whenever they were, whenever they were launching that X Men title, and they were doing all the teases. Spider Man is one of the images the, they released. Yeah, I, I remember that. Whatever happened to that? It was like he wasn't an vampire. official member, was he? I don't know. I haven't read the story. Said Josh angrily. Uh, Any listeners out there who have read those issues of the X Men and know what the whole Spider Man connection is there? If you could drop us a line. Actually, I'm, I'm saying that out loud, but I'm thinking that it was reviewed on the Spider Man Crawl Space. So I should probably just go read that. But um. But you writing me a letter would be easier, so do that. <laughs> I'm, look, I'm, I'm looking it up right now, angrily, like praying that, like <laughs> <laughs> that would be that would, that would be ass. If he was like an Avenger, a member of the FF, and an X Man, he, he's not a mutant. You have to be a mutant to be an X Man, right? Not anymore. You don't. <laughs> Who's not a mutant that's on the X Men? I'll I'll, I'll, I'll I'll think of it, but I remember reading that you no longer have to be a mutant to be part of the X-Men. Like, they changed the rules because, I don't know, something. Because why? <laughs> I don't read the modern X-Men books. See, the X-Men is one of my, is my second favorite spy, uh, Marvel franchise behind Spider-Man. But I haven't read any, hardly, of the modern books because I don't feel like I can dive in. I don't feel like, I feel like there's so much continuity to that team. So I've just been reading them slowly from the beginning. I'm in the early 80s, the Chris Claremont stuff, which is awesome, by the way. Uh, and I'll slowly make my way. Maybe I'll catch up one day. Maybe I won't. Maybe I'll never get to Manifest Destiny and the move to San Francisco and everything else that's happened over the last couple of years. But I'm looking at a complete list of members of the X-Men. Let's see how this uh, – let's see if Spider-Man's on here. It's probably like a reserve X-Men or something. I'll be damned if he is. That's – I really don't think he is, but I think he was, like, guesting. That was probably a false tease. Yeah, wow. This is I like this list because it's, like, really detailed. Okay, Spider-Man, Control-F. Okay, it, it talks about Spider-Man as amazing friends, but... <laughs> okay, Spider-Man is nowhere on this list. It's Wikipedia, which I know isn't the most reliable source, but it's usually up-to-date with this type of stuff. I just found a review for X-Men number 10 by Brian Bradley. Yes. There was a, the lizard got involved with the X-Men and Spider-Man had joined Oh, for sake. <laughs> wait, wait, did you find it? The <laughs> lizard joined the X-Men. No, not joined the X-Men, but got involved like they were going up against him and Spider-Man helped. <laughs> not like joined the X-Men, that would be... That would be sh- but of course, you know who did the art for this issue? John Romita Sr.? No, it's it's the it's the modern lizard. So there's only one man who can draw this story. Well, but Charlotte's an X-Men artist. So I mean, like I actually really like his uh, redesigned Rogue. So, but uh, so this is like you know Monkey Brain Lizard. Yeah, Knuckles the Kenya Lizard. It doesn't look like Spider-Man was in was was considered part of the team at all, but uh, he did help them for a couple of issues in a fight. One of my earliest Spider-Man issues was that one where like, he was an X-Man. And I had, I had to like ex- explain to my friends who X Men was, and then I, I learned he died recently. He'll be back. It's a member. Of, it's a member of the Summers family. Come on. Yeah, <laughs> he's just he's just a wreck on the way. 
Well, as it happens, Spider-Man is not done with the X-Men from this era yet. In just a few episodes, we're going to be returning for a full-fledged guest shot of Spidey in the X-Men, so you can look forward to that. But also, if you're an X-Men fan like I am, then I strongly suggest you keep your ears peeled for the promo I'm about to play, because I think you'll be excited. And we'll come back after this break. July 1963. The Marvel Age of Comics was dawning. First came the rise of the Fantastic Four. Then came the Incredible Hulk. Followed by the Amazing Spider-Man and the Mighty Thor. But, the Marvel Age was about to give way to the Age of the Atom. And nothing would be the same. Was the world ready for the strangest superheroes of all? The X-Men... On June 3rd, you can go to the movie theater and see the evolution of the X-Men, or you can listen to Xavier's podcast for Gifted Youngsters, an X-Men podcast, and see how it really began. It's the Merry Marvel Mutants, Cyclops, Marvel Girl, the Angel, the Beast, Iceman, and their mentor, Professor Xavier, from the beginning, issue by issue. Every two weeks, join J. David Weider and Michael Bailey as they follow the X-Men saga from the creation to the first class and beyond. Gasp at the tyranny of Magneto, stand in the awe of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, marvel at the mystery of the Vanisher, and cower at the sight of the Submariner. All for the first time, panel by panel. On June 3rd, prepare for the Children of the Atom at xavierspodcast.blogspot.com. When we last left, our friends at Amazing Spider-Man Classics, Kirk Connors gained an arm, but Spider-Man lost his. Well, he broke it. Now the two guys with different arms are going to fight each other again. Stay tuned as Spidey smashes out. Amazing Spider-Man 45 was released on November 10th, 1966 with a February 1967 cover date. This was just after the British viewing audiences marveled as the Doctor collapsed on the ground, appearing to die, but instead being covered in an inner glow as his body transformed from William Hartnell to Patrick Troughton. Oh, yes. This was the first time Doctor Who had ever used the plot device that we now know as regeneration, but at the time was just a way to keep the show going when their main star was too old to remember his lines anymore. And, to, and correct me if I'm wrong, but he did return for like some like crossover doctor, like like the three doctors or whatever, right? The three doctors. He came on for some very brief scenes where he was by himself on a televisor, basically reading the lines off the camera. <laughs> I didn't know it was that embarrassing. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's. I'm glad Which, they got him, but at the same time, it, it wasn't the best of scenes for him. And then whenever they had to do another crossover with five doctors, they had another actor play the part because yeah, I think Cardinal had already passed on by then. Right, he, he was an old man. But Tardis's and companions aside, Don is going to tell us about this issue. But before he does, I want to say congratulations, Don, on your new stint as the reviewer of the Amazing Spider-Man on the Spider-Man Crawl Space. Oh, thank you very much. If you're not a regular visitor to the site, I invite you to head over and check it out. Uh, Spider-Man Crawlspace is an amazing site for Spider-Man news and reviews and other items of interest. And now, every other week, this Classics Man will be writing reviews of the premier Spider-Man book. So, yay! Uh, thank you. And now, but, Don, tell us what happens in this book. What happens is Spidey smashes out. Cha-cha! 
the cover is to Amazing Spider-Man issue number 45. The Amazing Spider-Man is in the center of a web that the lizard has apparently crawled upon on him while his left arm is bandaged and he appears helpless. As the, as the caption reads, one of the wildest of all Spidey's battles. Oh, Stan, you'll never change, will you? Do we even want him to? <laughs> God, no. He'll, he'll live forever. We get, we get the splash page with Spider-Man walking along a sort of web bridge as he does every now and then. And um, he says, as, as his arm is still bandaged from the last fight, Last time we fought, I wasn't able to stop the lizard with both arms. So, my, so now my task will be twice as dangerous. But I've got to try. This issue is written by Stan the Man Lee. John Ringeting Ramita did the penciling. Lettering was by Sam, Sam Rosen. And web untangling by Irv Forbush. Now that is the first time we've gone to John Ringeting Ramita as opposed to Jazzy John Ramita. Which do you guys prefer? I guess Jazzy. John Ringeting has a nice cheesy sound to it. But uh, Jazzy John is, is, I don't know. It's more... Classic. <laughs> yeah, I, Professional is not the word I'm looking for, but something along those lines. It's it's more of a respectable nickname than Ringading. <laughs> yeah, of course. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Like when you were like, uh, I think all the puns were made like well, for J- Jazzy Johnny. Like all the dedication essays and stuff were attributed to Jazzy Johnny instead of. Johnny oh, we've also Ring-a-ding. gone from Smile and Stan to Stan the Man. Stan the Man. That that that's his name. Yeah. But you know, it's all it's like, it's like secondary titles. So as Spider-Man says with um, the exclamation, that noise coming from the corner sounds like trouble. Scree! And with that scree, Spider-Man was right. A truck is being hijacked by a bunch of thugs. Whether it's a milk truck or a delivery truck or a, uh, uh, the Ninja Turtles truck, we don't know. But even with <laughs> one arm, Spider-Man takes on the thugs and saves the man's life. Turning the page, we see Spider-Man trying to search for the lizard while we cut to the lizard going back to his laboratory apartment and waking up his wife, Martha Connors. The lizard is searching for Kurt Connors' notes so he can try to find out how he became a human lizard and wants to make millions of reptiles. And with this uh, crazy dialogue, I've got to find Connors' notes. The formula which transformed me into a human lizard must be here somewhere. Once I find it, I'll be able to drop it into the swamp waters everywhere. Waters containing countless millions of crawling reptiles. In just a matter of hours, I'll have a lizard army mighty enough to conquer all of mankind. Five minutes later. It's no use! I can't understand any of this stupid scientific gibberish. Stop. So that fails. Yeah, <laughs> Thop. There we go. So uh, the lizard leaves in anguish, and as Billy Connors is being woken up, Martha consoles her son, wondering what she can possibly do, with her son only saying, Mom, did you ever feel scared without knowing why? I I felt that way every time Uncle Andrew came over. Is that a real uncle? No. (laughs) (laughs) I'm imagining like a horrible man. There was no weird, scary uncle in my life. It's kind of like a beautiful mind thing, like, you know, like, John imagined him, and, but he never existed. The next morning at the office of the Daily Bugle, we find Frederick Falswell on the on the hunch again for Peter Parker and why he makes such great pictures of Spider-Man. But before he goes anywhere, J. John Jameson wants him to get some stories of the lizard. Similarly, Jameson yells at Ned Leeds and Betty Brant for sitting around while they're on the coffee break. So when they say they're on the coffee break, you know, minding their own business as they should, Jameson exclaims, That sinks it! The whole world is against me. I work my fingers to the bone. 
keeping this newspaper together just to provide jobs for everyone. And that's the things I get for it? It's like I always say, everyone's taking advantage of me because I'm too soft-hearted. And this Ned and Betty disagree, but that's neither here nor there. This is why their wedding took, like, so long to happen, because they're trying to plan their wedding here, and Jonah, who's, like, a very, you know, bitter Peter and Betty shipper, like, he goes along to stop them planning their wedding. I don't think so. You're marrying Parker, Parker, Parker. Speaking of Parker, now back to our list, we'll have to invite Peter Parker. (sighs) And then Ned's More more of that later. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, like, yeah, they're guest lists. Yeah, the guest list, which is, like, four people. Like, Fred Foswell, Jonah Jameson, Peter Parker. They, they had to start, like, stealing Peter's friends on their guest list, like, when they actually got married. Yeah, <laughs> M- Betty doesn't even know her maid of honor at this point. This is, like, God, these people know nobody. Like, they they invited Liz Allen, for God's sakes. Betty doesn't even like Liz Allen. Yeah, God, they did. Well, it's so far away. You know, it's literally like like tw- almost twenty years later. But well, they, the they, they they had to wait for their wedding another reason because they had to like you know make friends to invite to the wedding. <laughs> That's why it got delayed. <laughs> they sat down and they realized there's like ten minutes silence, and then like Ned's like, "All right, I'm gonna say what we're both thinking, Betty. We have no friends." <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. There's Peter. Guys who you used to date don't count. Right. <laughs> like no like when when liz is at the wedding that's her first scene with betty since issue 25 when they're like at aunt may's house meeting mary jane the first time we see them anyway i hope <laughs> unless they had like a knife fight the night before <laughs> liz you're coming to this wedding i need fr- you you were always my bestest friend back in the Dicko run <laughs> I just imagine like 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 the beat it music video where they they tie their arms to each other and like have a knife in the other hand like try to kill each other. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, we'll have to invite Peter Parker. But at that particular time, Mister Parker has other less romantic matters to concern him. His arm is still injured from the battle with the lizard in the previous issue, so he wonders if pe- people will think that he's Spider-Man because both people have the same arm. But he decides that's a stupid coincidence to that to try not to risk. So he goes out and says, "Yeah, I couldn't paint my motorcycle the way Mary Jane wanted because oh, wait, he did. Never mind, scratch that." <laughs> <laughs> and also speaking of MJ, I kind of wish that you know he had come to this rational conclusion, you know, in time to go out with MJ the other night because yeah. she she did invite him to go see. It. Uh, MJ. Oh, sorry. Yeah, she he should have gone out with her. Mary Jane. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, like, if if have you ever gone out on a date with an injury? Yeah. Or no. Like like a broken limb or a sprained ankle or something. Like that. I'm. I mean, it's that's not- the best time to go out on a date because that's like when. Don't you get sympathy, love? Okay, girls. Girls, I want you to all like you know pause or like fast forward. Guys, here's the secret. Yeah, it's like. You know, you don't have to hold the door for the girls or anything like that. Like, they do all that for you. It's like, <laughs> it's your chance to be doted on without being, like, a chauvinistic jerk. It's, like, guilt-free. The classics play a game. <laughs> Volume 1. Girls, so, you may resume listening to the MP3 player. <laughs> so after that, um, Peter runs p- past Flash and Harry, you know, making with the I don't know you from Adam bit, as Flash would say. And while uh, they joke on him that he's trying to be Spider-Man, Harry says, no, we're just kidding. Yeah, of course you're not Spider-Man. So that confirms Peter's suspicions that it was too that was too big of a risk you know, to think that they would think he's Spider-Man. So while Flash uh, provides some false evidence that I will not acknowledge. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really? 
Um, Harry says that she's this from the man who says I'm only talking about what's on the page. (laughs) (laughs) So I watched that. It's all cool. (laughs) (laughs) Harry says to Peter, "You know, Gwen is throwing a flash, um, a going away party for his uh, induction notice. She asked me to invite you. Oh, that's nice. That's cool. But tell me something, Harry. How come Gwen didn't ask me herself?" (laughs) <laughs> let's face it son you haven't made, been around that much since Mary Jane made the scene uh, okay now I have thoughts about this yeah. because Mary Jane made the scene last issue and I was trying to figure out how much time has actually passed between that scene and now because it like two days like an, like an hour ago <laughs> did it say two days yeah I think you said like two someone said like two days that's the conclusion I came to and this is this is the way I interpret the timeline as being that the first fight with the lizard was a Friday night. MJ calls him that night saying her dance is tomorrow night. That's going to be Saturday night. Well, hold on though, because earlier that issue, he and Mary Jane, like went did go out on a date, like from the silver spoon. Cause when you see him before he fights the lizard, he's like, wow, you know, that time with Mary Jane, it's like every day's a holiday. That was a Friday though. He missed class that morning. He went to the silver spoon and hung out with the guys. He went out with Mary Jane and then he fought the lizard that night. Okay, got it. And that was Friday. Mary J's dance that he had to miss was Saturday. The beginning of this issue opens on Sunday night where he finds out that he can still function as Spider-Man. And here we are Monday morning. It should also be said that um, this, this actually goes back to last issue, but that whole scene in Spider-Man Blue when he introduces Mary Jane to the guys at the Silver Spoon, that's the scene right before they go after the, the rhino in issue 43. Wait... Which hold I, on, I, hold I, on a second. Your Friday timeline doesn't work because he goes to school. Last issue, after that Friday, after that Friday night. Because like Gwen's like Peter, you're daydreaming, and everyone thinks he's daydreaming about MJ. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So MJ made the scene on Thursday. Then he skipped class Thursday morning. <laughs> you're saying it now. <laughs> but the the end of the issue. My, my point was the end of the issue is Friday, and I guess the, the gang was going to do some stuff over the weekend that Peter would have normally been with, but he missed out on because he was hiding from the world because of his arm. He was being a stupid face. And they assumed he was with MJ. And they assumed that he was with MJ when he wasn't. So that's what I'm thinking, that like Gwen would have invited him over the weekend, but he's been with MJ the whole time, they think. Mm. And he wasn't. I don't think that he's at the point where he's doing social stuff with them. Like, he's still kind of, like, making his way into, like, Gwen hasn't even, like, Gwen invited him to a party a few issues ago, but he didn't go. Like, the only times that he's ever seen them was, like, when he's bumped into them at places like the Silver Spoon. In that case, so, Harry's comment makes no sense. I, I, I don't think that he, <laughs> <laughs> I, you, you, you tried, man. <laughs> I hand it to you. <laughs> we if his comment's going to make of... sense, then you have to go with my explanation. If my explanation doesn't work, then Harry's being stupid. <laughs> Harry! Just like Norman Osborn forewarned. I don't think that Peter is, is very social with him until after Flash leaves, by coincidence. Well, when he moves in with Harry, too. Because, like, right. that like that, that that does a lot to... Right, that's right. I mean, they've been trying to invite him to stuff, and maybe he's been doing stuff with them in between issues, but I'm like, I'm really doubting it at this point. So Peter starts to daydream about Gwen, you know, thinking that... Peter thinks that Gwen thinks that he's been with Mary Jane much than he actually has. So he's wondering, it's funny, I keep on thinking about her, even though I've never really dated her, note on that later, 
Mary Jane always seems to pop up between us. So all you Gwen Peter shippers, jump for joy. We cut to a, a, a remote seashore resort where we find Aunt May talking to an older woman saying how, you know, how horrible the city is. But Peter is such a good boy because he's not doing anything. He's reading a book and drinking milk. But sooner or later, a fellow finishes his good book and a glass of warm milk can't last forever. So really? Spider-Man swings into the city looking for the lizard. He goes by the sewers. He goes by the zoo. He goes by the house of reptiles, which reptiles have their own house. I did not know that. Um, yeah. House of Reptiles is like um, names of different reptile exhibits. I've seen those before. Brad, if this Brad. was the 90s show, like it would have like reused footage from like different like settings. Yeah, like, like, like <laughs> the 90s show, this would be that, that, that area from the first episode. Yeah, like, like I could see him like, nothing in the sewer, nothing in the zoo. And then it would show footage from the Craven episode. <laughs> so Spider-Man goes to the House of Reptiles, finds nothing, turns his head slightly left, and sees a sign that says, Last day, exhibit world's largest collection of reptiles. Next exhibit will be held in Philadelphia. So Spider-Man starts uh, going for the train for Philly, which leaves in an hour. Somehow he knows that automatically. And 48 minutes later, he runs into the lizard, who looks like he just woke up. Spider-Man! You know it, mister! So the superhero and the supervillain start duking it out. Spider-Man gets a few licks in, but because of this, the lizard's hard, rock, scaly skin, it has very little effect. The lizard's fast as ever and starts destroying... <laughs> destroying. I'm sorry to sound like Harry Osborn from the 90s show. Starts beating him, <laughs> beating him up with his tail, grabs grabs a nearby rail, and but be- before he can react to his favorite Jason Todd Robin issue, Spider-Man socks him in the gut. The lizard gets the upper hand, however, by uh, by bullying him over, over the head, picking up and throwing him in the nearby train. He then kicks the door down, and several reptiles come after him, such as crocodiles, alligators, and snakes. Spider-Man manages to web the nearby croc by webbing his jaws shut, but how can he last? Because his web fluid can't last forever. How can he survive? Well, we're not going to find that out for a minute, because we cut back to Mary Jane and Aunt Anna making small talk. And Aunt Anna's saying that she's very glad that Peter and Mary Jane have hit it off so well. Mary Jane says that he's the least little bit square, but outside of that, he really turns me on. So, so they go over to his house to try to give him some food, but he's not there. He's not there because he's fighting for his life. He manages to grab the, the snakes and the tails of the crocodiles and alligators and swing them around, basically beat them into subconsciousness. He gets alongside the train where the lizard's trying to make his escape to Philadelphia, and they battle for a bit more until Spider-Man knocks him inside of a, a refrigerator car. That, that's what it is, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I've never heard of those before, by the way. I mean, maybe these exist. Maybe they're common, but like, it seems ridiculous. They were on. Um, they were on Frosty the Snowman. Well, that was the, yeah. that was a myth. That was a living legend. It was a Frosty cartoon. Is a walking, you know, depiction of accuracy. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Frosty the Snowman. Empire State University. Sally Avril, right? Oh, oh Lord <laughs> have mercy. You can't mention Sally Avril without ESU and ESU without Sally Avril at this point in time. <laughs> They're both the ghosts of the show. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so, so inside the inside the refrigerator car, Spider-Man gets a few bocks and thracks on the lizard, which manages to slow him down. And as the lizard starts becoming weaker and weaker, Spider-Man exclaims that the frozen the frozen temperatures conflict with his warm-blooded uh, lizard DNA, and the lizard's knocked out and falls fast asleep. Wait, wait, Spider- wait, 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 wait. Good. 
the cold of the refrigerator conflicts with his warm-blooded DNA? Or is it the opposite? Well, he had to be cold-blooded to have to go with for this to have a significant effect on him. What does it say? He says lizards are cold-blooded. Okay, no, I, I, I mixed that up. Um, okay, I'm sorry. Well, let Spider-Man explain. You forgot one little fact. One fact that meant the difference between victory or defeat. Lizards flourish in warm temperatures, but extreme cold, such as you'll find in a refrigerator car, is the one thing that will weaken a big bag lax, la, okay, lacertillian reptile. Tisk, I wish you wouldn't fall asleep when I'm lecturing you. So he is cold-blooded, but he needs warm temperatures to, to survive. So when that cold-blooded body is in a cold-blooded environment, that's what knocks him out. Right. Science! All right. So he webs him up um, as over here, mummy, and uh, goes back to Connor's lab. He starts doing some science and makes the makes the serum to turn back into Kurt Connors. But just as he's starting to do it, Martha and Billy go back to his home because the lab is in his home, which that's a pretty big apartment. But anyway, it, it does work, and uh, Martha and Billy are reunited with their husband slash father. On page nineteen, we have a panel that. That Stan exclaims as another mighty Marvel first. Knowing how titanically talented our riotous readers are, we're leaving this final panel for you to write your own dialogue. If you can get someone to play hearts and flowers softly in the background, it won't do a bit of harm either. And uh, I don't know what you guys are. Stan got lazy and he didn't want to script it. No, 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 no. I, I want us to do dialogue for this. Did, uh, did, did, I, y- did y'all come up with dialogue? Because I, t- I totally came up with dialogue. I, I stole I, what Jeff Loeb no, said. Yeah. You stole what Jeff Loeb said? Yeah, because Jeff Loeb does that. He In Spider-Man Blue, the exact same panel, but the dialogue is filled in. Oh, in Spider-Man Blue? Yeah. What does he say? Uh, Connor says, there goes a real hero. Martha says, I wish there was some way to repay him for all his help. Billy says, what could we do, Mom? Somebody like Spider-Man has it all. Spider-Man says, nothing. Um, Actually, that's... Look, look at the second to last panel of uh, the book. Oh, oh, okay. Well, this is me leaving. Didn't do anything except for copy Stanley. (laughs) Okay, well, this is what I came up with. There's still one part that's great and scaly. Well, we don't use that part anymore anyway. I'll let you figure it out. And then Billy says, don't think I don't know what you guys are talking about. (laughs) And Peter swings away saying, such a wonderful family. I'm sure Billy's going to grow up. Log and healthy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I also had <laughs> I also had a joke about Billy in there. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> He's a dead man. <laughs> dead boy walking. Because uh, the murder of children is so much fun to laugh at, you know? <laughs> ha ha ha! Child side. <laughs> or infant side or whatever. Toddler side. Boy side. Thanks, Spider-Man. I'm sure that your cure is going to work this time, unlike all the other times. <laughs> You know it, Dad. <laughs> yeah, Billy said. Yeah, like, watch, watch him leave, and like, 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 like seconds later, he turns into lizard again, because like that's how the mutation is now. <laughs> no, my mutation disease. <laughs> and Billy uh, says, "Oh, I knew that my dad would never hurt me, for he loves me so." <laughs> Spider-Man says, "Yuck, that Parker lock." I don't know. I really got nothing. I, I, I didn't sit down and think about this too much, aside from note to self: make a joke about the lizard eating his son. <laughs> <Because> <laughs> Because <laughs> that's the thing to do right now. No, Spider Man swings away. He says, You can talk? <laughs> <laughs> to Kurt Connors. <laughs> that's like Peter and Brian. 
Oh my god, you can talk. <laughs> but where Spider-Man is victorious, Peter Parker is not so much. He says that he was fighting the lizard so much that he forgot all about his personal problems. Ain't that just the way? So he's walking down the street to that funky beat, uh, as John said in the previous episode. Uh, while, while Mary Jane and Harry Osborn drive up to him and say, Hey, you're dream- daydreaming again. You always do that. You want a lift? No, nah, I haven't got far. Mary Jane says in her ever-loving slang, Then rev up, Harry boy. See ya, Petey. We're willing where the action is. They just missed the action. <laughs> so... <laughs> What, what what what's Harry and Mary Jane doing here? By the way, this is a date. Is this a date? <laughs> I would think it's a date. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, um, hmm, interesting. No. <laughs> <laughs> interesting. A guy and a girl alone together. Th- th- that's a date. <laughs> They're obviously not dating. This is actually a big joke, you know, because <laughs> nobody's taking it seriously. Everyone's really being, being contrary about it. Shut the f- up. <laughs> <laughs> During the day, I was never your girl. Like you know, she says that to him. You know, it's uh, <laughs> uh, just interesting that that's your reaction here. Okay, I got two pages left. Oh, okay, Jimmy Olsen. So it's like in an alley somewhere, like tied up in his underwear because Harry's like stolen his clothes. That oh, plaid green jacket in the boat. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I threw off your groove. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> Finish this issue now, if you dare. Oh, suck it, suck it. So Peter Parker walks down to the sidewalk saying, What a prize chump I am for worrying when Mary, when I had to break a date with Mary Jane. Looks as though she couldn't care less. As long as she got a Joe that will take her wherever she wants to go. No doubt about it. That chick is as pretty as a pumpkin seed, but just about as shallow. And I never <laughs> realized how icky it can be listening to a gal who's on all the time. Or maybe just my fault. I'm just trying to blame my blue funk on her. Whatever. This is <laughs> the most good if he's, he's ever like about Mary Jane. <laughs> like, he basically calls her an idiot. And if Peter Parker, Parker has blue funk, then he must have gotten bit by that spider worse than we thought. Ew. Ew. Sorry. <laughs> so, while well, um, blue and funky Peter Parker reaches to his house, Aunt Anna deci- um, sees him, offers him, t- offers to do some laundry, and uh, tries to give him some food, you know, because she likes him so much. But she turns around, when, when Peter turns around, she sees his injured arm. He's like, oh, please don't tell me, Aunt May, please, please, you know she'll die. She says, oh, wait, I, I won't tell anybody, don't worry, it'll be our secret. So he goes into his room, and cut to the Spider-Man classic angsting. Every problem I have is caused by my being Spider-Man, as he throws his costume against the wall. If I were just playing Peter Parker, I wouldn't have to break dates right and left. I'd have time for studying, and I wouldn't have to feel guilty when, whenever my aunt may ask me of something. I'd even be able to take the job with Harry's dad and earn a nice steady income. Because I, I actually skipped over this in the recap. Uh, Harry said that his dad is a scientist, so maybe Peter can help him with some uh, assistant work. But Peter said he would think about it. Why do I do it? Why do I continue risking my life, causing a thousand unnecessary problems, a thousand heartaches and sleepless nights? Have I an insane lust for power? I need to feel more important than those around me? Or is it something deeper, more frightening? Has Spider-Man become so a part of me that I can never lose him again? And then we, we cut to the Connors family where they're all happy and smiling and basically making fun of him inadvertently through their different uh, candor. If only there was somebody. All right, everybody, <laughs> strap in your irony seatbelts. It's gonna get like really bumpy. If only there was some way I could repay Spider-Man for what he's done for us. 
If only there's something we, we, we could do in return for him. Wouldn't that be one for the books, Dad? Imagine us doing something to help Spider-Man. I feel the same way, Kurt, dear. But it's so futile. After all, Spider-Man is so powerful, so self-sufficient. What help could he possibly need for everyone else? A person like him probably has everything a man could wish for. <laughs> Ooh, if only Martha can see what happened a few panels ago. She'd know how wrong she was. She don't know what she's saying. <laughs> the hell you say? Well, like, like all the irony probably like, like, like destroyed a fire trap like a mile away. It's like, which is on fire because the irony is so hot. Next, Peter Parker's pad. Uh, enough said. <laughs> don't worry, he's, folks. He's, he's, gonna, know, he's gonna buy a bunch of steno pads in bulk. Yeah, I was I was about to say, don't worry, folks. Pad had a different, you know, meaning back then. Oh, oh yes. Does have a different oh, no. meaning now? Dude, you know what you should do, John? Wait, 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 wait. Spider Tran, Spider Tran. Okay, go ahead. No, you know what you should do, John? You should Photoshop this image and then put like a lowercase i in front of the pad, and then like you know, like put it as like a sticker on your iPad. <laughs> I should. <laughs> Peter Parker's iPad. Awesome. Next, that'll be like, you know, the 2011. Next, Peter Parker's iPad. And it's like a whole book of like Peter Parker loses his iPad at Horizon Labs. And his iPad has like Spider Man stuff on there. And if somebody finds it, his secret identity will be, you know, revealed for sure. He's got to get it back. And through a series of hijinks, you know, he, does, he doesn't get it back. It can only be hijinks. Okay. <laughs> it's 2011. It's Amazing Spider-Man. It stands slow. Of course, it's hijinks. Wait, John, you have a, you have an iPad? Yeah, actually, reading my comics on the iPad as we go. So, um, despite the fact that this was a really, really actiony issue, I really enjoyed it. I mean, because <laughs> actually bad that the that the previous uh, installment was a little bit light on plot. If that was light on plot, this was completely plotless. Which it wasn't. I mean, there's stuff that happened. It's a good story, uh, but it's it's seventy five percent of it is fight between Spider Man and the Lizard, and right. yet it's still a really fun issue to read. The dialogue is good. The art is amazing. I really liked it. Oh, the art, uh, the, the art's immaculate. And I, I, it's been a while since we recorded. Uh, as as I you know, peel back the fourth wall for you fellows. Um, but like I, I I love this crazy dialogue. Like like whether it be like outdated slang like dad or son or make the scene because we all know we say that all the time or it's just like, like the people's crazy like like just assumptions you know i can't let people know i broke my arm because they'll automatically it must have to think i'm spider-man man 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 so it's it's good stuff it's, it's just it's i don't think it's anything really special but it's enjoyable it's it's you know it's, it's, it's very classic 60 spider-man i'm just imagining like a doug funny-esque like peter parker like imagining going to school the next day <laughs> He walks in with his arm, and he's like, oh, that wasn't so bad. Then, like, all of a sudden, like, Flash and Harry and Gwen, they up one of them, he's Spider-Man! And they, like, chase him like a mob right away. <laughs> Look at his arm! He must be Spider-Man! <laughs> That's, like, the opening splash is, you know, him running from a mob. Peter Parker, like, he's Spider-Man, he's Spider-Man. How did we get here, boys and girls? Let's turn the clock back 24 hours. <laughs> They, like Peter, like imagines like that. That's how it's gonna go down. He's like, "Joke! I can't go back to school." Sob. <laughs> well, it'll be like you know, hi game. What's what's going on? Hey, nothing. We're just listening to the radio. And last night, Spider Man was injured against the lizard and uh, injured his left arm. And they all like turned him like zombies with eyes wide. Where were you? Mm-hmm. Well, I was out on a date with Mary Jane, of course. And then Mary Jane like comes up around the corner. No, he wasn't. And by the way, he's Spider Man. I saw him change. You know, the night his uncle was murdered. <laughs> it's been like like three or four years ago now. He's been Spider Man. 
And you didn't mention us until now, Mary Jane. Nobody asked. <laughs> Mary Jane away. She's just fine. You don't even go to school here. What are you doing? Stirring <laughs> the pot. So going back through the uh, the story, um, the splash page. I don't know. It, it to me the splash page is decent, but it's not like blow me away. Um, it's from an artistic perspective. I kind of like the foreshortening, but eh, it's fine. I mean, I don't, I don't know why. I mean, I guess because he didn't want to web sling, but I don't know why a lot of times you see people like walk along the sort of, sort of thing when they can, when they have like both their limbs, but it's That's got to take forever, like as opposed to web slinging. Oh, yeah, to yeah. walk across something like that? Yeah. Even if he's even if he's able to run it. He's, he's not running. <laughs> Which on page three, he says, with one arm out of action, it's easier to use a web bridge than to swing around town. Now I know how Daredevil feels. And my thought is, you can't know how Daredevil feels. You can't compare missing an arm to being blind. That's not fair. Well, he doesn't know he's blind, but yeah, actually, does. Every time we mention Daredevil, we have to mention he's blind. Yeah, isn't he written a letter? Uh, Yeah, at this point, he has written a letter. Yeah. Oh, were we were we supposed to discuss that issue? Uh, They haven't gotten the letter yet. Um, When does he get the letter? Let me look that up real quick. Well, Karen and Foggy intercept the letter. Yeah, I know, and I wrote I wrote down what issue that is. I just I have to pull it out of my ass. Hold on. Pulling out of your ass in three, two. (laughs) It's uh, it's next month's issue of Daredevil. So th- th- this basically around the corner. Okay, so he has an idea that Daredevil's blind by now. Then he's written the letter, and they'll open it next month. What issue is that? How do you know he's written the letter? Well, we just assume that he has, because they're going to okay. open it the very next issue. I mean, maybe I mean maybe like it took him a month to write it. Maybe, maybe it took you a month to write it. <laughs> yeah, t- <laughs> take that. I don't know what that means. But anyways, the whole... uh, first job offer from Norman Osborn. They'll bring that up a few times before he finally accepts the job offer in the drug trilogy. And then when he accepts it, he, like, works there for literally a day. I don't yeah. even think he ever, like, officially works. Like, he just, like, goes in and says, all right, I'll take the job. And he never starts. His, 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 the guy turned out to be a, a whack job. Wouldn't you know it? Six. Okay, so, yeah. Um, Flash is off to see Gwen. Yeah. And who is the one throwing Flash a party? Blow me. <laughs> <laughs> all right fine but she's being nice you know she's she's going to say she, she would probably throw a party for harry do you think she would she probably would throw a party for harry but she is the one throwing the party for flash coincidence says i and um it's 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 evidence if you want to be evidence but it doesn't necessarily have to be evidence you know what i mean no no the evidence is you know people acknowledging the fact that they're dating over multiple issues I just find this really, really humorous that you're so strongly in denial about this. I'm not like, in denial. It just, it just doesn't make any sense because it's like... Okay, oh. okay. Let me ask you this from a different perspective then. Why can't they be dating? Because no, one's, no one has ever, ever, ever brought it up since. Who has brought up Harry and Gwen dating ever since? I, 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 okay, you know what? Off the top of my head, I can't list anything, but I... Like, within the comics, nobody's brought up Harry and Gwen dating, even, like, during points where it would make sense for them to bring it up. Have like, I ever brought up me and Sabrina dating? The teenage Have witch. I ever brought up me and... Uh, <laughs> the teenage witch, that's going in the bloopers. Nice. <laughs> Who's hell Sabrina? Is your name Harvey Kinkle? <laughs> Was that his name? Good God. Um, one of her boyfriends. She had a boyfriend named Josh on the show. Ooh, did you feel special? 
I actually liked his character. He was like a newspaper photographer or something. Like that was when they were trying to make the show more adult. Like instead of her being in high school, like she worked at like a newspaper and George went from Cheers was her boss and like she lived with like these college wacky roommates who were like getting into wacky adventures with her. They they, they tried to make the show like appeal to like a different demographic. And it became less about like her being a witch and more about her being like a young college girl trying to have a career. Hmm. And she just happened to have a talking cat. It was canceled, wasn't it? After that. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was the last straw. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no more. Well, I mean, that iteration of the show lasted two or three seasons, but yeah, it it was it was canceled. But so um. This- Okay, okay, can continue on your your little debate with Don. No, I I, I really didn't want to get into it that much again because I just I, I did want to bring up though that this is more of Gwen. This is more connection between Glenn and Flash. Well, all he has to do is see MJ and Harry in a car together, and Don says, "Oh yeah, that's a date." You we know had- what? <laughs> Smart ass. Like, okay, okay, okay. Flash says, "See you around, guys. I'm gonna grab a cup of Java with Gwen." Okay, cool. He's going to get some coffee with Gwen. I admit that. I, I'm a man. But last issue, she goes off with Harry. So, like, okay, okay, okay. And, and, and what does Peter say when she goes off with Harry? Like, he, uh, yeah, he, he says, oh, Harry's going off with your gal. But, but then uh, what does Flash say? He says, I'll shut up. He doesn't say, well, he doesn't do anything to Harry, which I, which I maintain as evidence. Now, what's he gonna do with Harry? He and Gwen aren't engaged. Just hear me out. Just hear me out. Just hear me out. She can go, she can she can hang out with with his Flash one on one. She can hang out with, with Harry one on one. That does not mean that she's dating both of them. You know. Actually, so, it does because she does date Harry. When when we say she's here, I, I was thinking that they were dating before they, she met Peter and, and Flash. So you don't That's, see Gwen is dating Harry during the comics that we're reading. Not really. No. No. Well, they make references to, like, Harry and Gwen dating, like, later on. Wait, you, you, now you're saying that Harry and Gwen didn't date either? Really? No, I, no I'm, I'm saying that, like, they, when they dated, it was before this. It was, like, it was like, 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 like when they first, when you first see Harry and, and Gwen, maybe they're dating then. But not, not by now. Am they're, I? No, they're going to date again before Peter and Gwen date. Her and Harry are going to date some more. The fuck like, what? that's clearly... I mean, I, I, I may, I may mis- misremember it. I'm not saying, like, oh, they can't possibly date, but, like, I don't remember them dating. Because I know that one thing that you're going to throw in our faces is, like, at Flash's goodbye party, Harry is Gwen's date to that, which is, like, very puzzling, but, you know. Because they weren't fu- Okay. It's puzzling because it's detrimental to your argument. Well. It, it, yes, it is detrimental to my argument, but on the other hand, there's so much other stuff that supports my argument. And maybe at that point, you know... It, like, you know, Gwen said, you know, look, you know, we went out a few times, you know, you're going away to the army, I'm bringing a guy to this party. Like, uh, you know, it, it's not like, it's not like they dated for a year, you know, when Gwen was, and they were in a committed relationship, and Gwen took another guy to their party. Okay, we'll talk about more of this next time. Betty Brant. Is this the first mention of Norman since the Green Goblin thing ended? I think so. No. Because when he was fighting John Jameson, he says, this is reminding me of the Green Goblin because, you know, he really doesn't know what he's doing and I don't want to hurt him. No, I mean, like, like Norman as a person outside of the Green Goblin, like Harry's mentioning his dad, I guess. We're we're having a a worldview look at Norman since the since the Green Goblin persona ended. I guess aside like a brief I mentioned, then yeah, yeah, yeah. 
speaking of, you know, Gwen and dating and stuff, okay, uh, that one page, when Peter's, Peter's thought balloon, he says, it's funny, I keep thinking of Gwen, even though I've never really dated her. Now, when they, in Marvel Saga, and I don't know if this was also, like, the case when they did it in Marvel Tales or something, I don't know if this was just a thing for Marvel Saga or if it was done elsewhere, but let me pull up the page in Marvel Saga, because when they reprint that panel... They change the dialogue, and it's a really, really weird change of dialogue. Hold on. It's very, uh, it's very pointless change of dialogue. Yeah. Well, it changes the intent. It says, okay, it's funny. Mm-hmm. Of Gwen, even though I've hardly ever dated her. So it goes from I've never really dated her to I've hardly ever dated her. Which is def- hardly. I mean, like... It's going from saying we've done some things together, but I wouldn't really consider them dates, to we've gone on dates, but there really haven't been that many. They weren't that serious. You know what? I, I, the, the, what the conclusion that I reached is that like, Gwen Peter Shipper changed that because, like, really, I'm not trying to be stupid. It's like, it's like, uh, think about it. like, like, like the idea is that you know, Mary Jane, like, like we we we've talked about how the the, the false notion that there was a Gwen. Mary Jane Peter thing, like there yeah. was a Betty Veronica listening, and Betty Veronica Archie thing, but like, if there was that, if that ever occurred, it's very rarely, and this is, this is practically the end of it, or nearing the end of it. So like, if Peter hypothetically has gone on dates with Gwen as uh, on equal quantity as he has with Mary Jane, then that rivalry still stands. If he's not dated Gwen yet, then it's it, it's not it, it that doesn't fit up with uh, compliant, convenient uh, assumptions. That's, that's that's why I think it was changed. Now it's a really a, like butthurt way to do it because it's not a big deal. But don't, do you think that's why they, they cha- that that was changed so it could like, just just match it to what people's beliefs were? Yeah, I think it was cha- like I think it was changed to streamline things so people like maybe they were afraid that people would read it and like think oh they're gonna think but never dated and we can't have that. I don't know. That is what makes the most sense to me. If Peter is shown on panel and saying I've never dated Gwen. Then that's going to last in your minds as he's never dated Gwen. If they change the uh, the dialogue a little bit, then then they are dating, and you you have a you don't have that emphasis in your mind anymore. That's the way I interpret it. We don't care about the lizard. We're talking about like you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like the it's just like the John Jameson issue. We we completely dropped him after Mary Jane came on the scene. We completely dropped two. Like, and, and when we were talking about forty two, like after Mary Jane uh, with, with Brad, we we never talked about him. <laughs> Of John Jameson, yeah. <laughs> Why would we? You know, it's all about like, is, is Flash dating Gwen? Is Harry dating Gwen? Is Peter dating Gwen? Who's dating who? Were Harry and Mary Jane on a date? You know, like what? And who's R. Who's R. Kelly's character? I mean, who is he? <laughs> right. <laughs> and why is there a midget in the cupboard? Days of our spider light, yeah. And I mean, geez, I mean, you know, I mean, with all these questions about who's dating who, I. I are Ned and Betty really engaged? That's what we have to ask. Well, is Andre really a widow? I just don't know anymore. It's all unraveling before my eyes. My God! <laughs> really, we know if Martha Connors has a par- paramour on the side. <laughs> oh, she probably does. That's why. That's why Kurt ran away from her at the train station. He wasn't turning into the lizard. He just he, he thought that his own son was like his his, his wife's new boyfriend or something. <laughs> oh, I thought you were dating Big Man. Um, to, to, bring <laughs> to bring things back in, I guess um, depending on when you 
consider this or what you consider it. This might be the beginning of Harry Mary Jane, but that really doesn't pick up until like this it's is one of the first instance where you see something like it. It's the first instance of the two of them together on a one-on-one basis. So, and you know, Peter obviously takes it as well. I break a date with Mary Jane, and she's in a ride with Harry. So, Peter's intent is, you know, an interpretation is that they're on a date or something that's date-like. So. I guess it's, but like, really, that's kind of dropped for a while. And when I was younger reading these, I was waiting for, like, you know, Mary Jane and Harry to officially get together, like, it to happen on panel, like it did in the movie or the 90s show or something. Well, that was before the movie for me, but like, like it did in the 90s show, and like it would if it was like a sitcom or something. There'd be a but, declaration of romantic, romantic relationship going on. Yeah, like you'd see, but like. It, it really didn't happen that way. Just all of a sudden, like one day, Peter's in his apartment around issue like 69 or 70 or something. And he says, Harry's not here. He's out on a date with Mary Jane. And that like after this, that was the first mm-hmm. mention of it. I remember this that. Is, and this is also where Peter kind of writes Mary Jane off for a good long while. I mean, he, he decides here that she's a space cadet. And there doesn't really seem to be much in the way of sparks between them after this, at least not until like. The death of Gwen Stacy. Well, I mean, th- he still sees her. Um, sorry to interrupt. I'm like, you know, in the Craven issue, like his eyes are on Gwen, but like he thinks, well, Mary Jane's not so bad either. Like, so they're until the he's brainwash not, story. He has. He's, he's written- not thinking with his head. He's thinking with his head. Okay. He's not thinking with his brain. He's thinking with his. Right. Uh, he's thinking, I want to be Gwen, but MJ's good enough. <laughs> so I, I must say right now that like that page where that panel where you see Harry Osborne and, and Mary Jane like like talking to him in the car, and that the fourth panel on that page, that is some really good artwork. I mean, in black and white, really, it really is accentuated how like that 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 that's almost like almost like 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 a model drawing the way those facial expressions are drawn by Ramita. I love it. Yeah, I think the color might actually be detrimental here because it's it's floating out of the lines and stuff. I think I'd like to see this in black and white. It looks really good in black and white. Exactly. The, the, the panel and, right and before that, we have Space Cadet Peter coming back. We talked about how he used to do this all the time under Ditko, and would he do it under Romita? And sure enough, here he is doing it again. Right. One day he's going to get hit by a bus. I mean, <laughs> so the, the, Spider-Sense is probably thing that like saved him from it like i'd imagine that when he was little like he would just be like walking around daydreaming and uncle ben would have to like you know pull him from like buses stop him from walking like in the construction sites tom and jerry style and well i, I imagine that you know if you ever got hit by a bus you probably get more powers but, like, <laughs> you get the power of bus <laughs> the power of molten buses yeah because that's real there were a couple of things i wanted to bring out before this scene back during the lizard stuff because we've kind of skipped over the entire lizard fight, and it, while there's not a whole lot to comment on, I did want to pull out a couple things. Page John, l- just characters may or may not have dated. Of course, we skipped over the lizard fights. <laughs> Page eleven is covered by two panels, rather large panels, and I, I really like it when Ramita opens up like this. He's still doing some pretty tight paneling with, you know, six, seven, eight, nine panels on the page, but here he's got two really large panels, and the second one where the um, the lizard is looking towards Spider-Man and all the alligators coming out, that reminds me of a scene from Amazing Spider-Man 6. There's a very, very similar right. instruction in that issue that I wonder for me that was deliberately trying to reinterpret. And um, on page 12, whenever Mary Jane's talking to her Aunt Anna, 
and she makes the joke, I'm going to the Frenzy Villa Go-Go, Aunt Anna. If the Beatles call, tell them I won't be on long. Oh, do you know the Beatles, dear? And I just, you know, facepalm. <laughs> of course not, but I, leave, but I believe in positive thinking. Exactly. Well, what year is this? 1966. Right at the end of 1966. Yeah, the Beatles were doing LSD. Nice. At this point. So was MJ! Yeah, so, so, yeah. Beat me to it. So, yeah, maybe they got together. Um, <laughs> in their minds. Paul and John went to New York in 1968 to uh, launch Apple, but I don't think that they hung out with MJ. The refrigerator car? I thought it was pretty ingenious. Uh, the, I mean, it's a plot device they can probably never use again. Maybe, maybe they do use it again, of, of making the lizard cold, so cold that he passes out. That's really taking advantage of the nature of the villain. He's he's a reptile now, so reptiles are cold-blooded. They don't have the the same kind of inner-generated body heat that we have. They get a lot of their heat from their environment. And if you take that heat away, they're going to pass out. Just like you would pass out if your temperature was – if your inner body temperature was 80 degrees or something. We didn't talk about it in our recap. It's also the return of Bindle Stiff. Oh, yes. Hey, uh, Stephen Lacey, it's called a bindle. Lacey, with your British accent. He'll understand what that means. We'll have to take his word for it, Joe. One thing's for sure. Spider-Man's no ordinary bindle stiff, says person on the panel. Random. Okay, where is that page again? I didn't, I didn't find out when you, when you guys told me the last time. When Spider-Man's taking the lizard off of the train on page 17, it's painted on page 17, panel 3. Oh, yes. By the way, you know, if you're still going under the assumption that there is an Untold Tales appearance at a lizard, you lose at this issue, and Kirk Connors says, this is the second time you've helped me. Speaking of them helping each other, Kirk Connors is like, if only there was some way to help Spider-Man, I just can't figure out how. Like, didn't he, like, go yes, to he did. Yeah, about, like, saving Aunt May? <laughs> just make sure his aunt never dies. Whoops. <laughs> so, um... When you're comparing this issue to, like, this, this is the era where Spider-Man Blue adapted. I like it, but I like the Spider-Man Blue adaption. But there was one thing that always bugged me. This is really more of that than this issue. But I remember that in that issue, Spider-Man called, like, Billy Connors, like, the boy all the time. As though he were Homer Simpson. That, that always kind of bugged me. Like, I, I never thought that Peter Parker ever talked like that. I mean, he, he doesn't do it here, but, like, like oh. Oh, Peter like Connors, Billy the boy? Like, yeah, when Martha Connors starts knocking on the door, he's, and he, he hears Billy's voice. He's like, oh, great, she brought the boy with him. That, that was one thing I, that I noted from like the adaption of this story. I can see that would be bothersome. Yeah, Peter's more personable than that. And I, I don't, I don't think they have the injured arm in the uh, uh, Spider-Man Blue story anyway. I'm, I'm looking at it right now. No, he, his arm is not injured in that story. They, they skipped that completely. Mm. The liars. Spider-Man Blue just. <laughs> I like it. You don't care for it, right? It could be a good story on its own, but they're even ignoring the retcons, which bother me. There's like, there's just stuff in there that like bother me on like a Spider-Man level. It's all good in the hood. Well, we'll 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 get to it eventually, sometime in um, twenty eighteen or nineteen. Alex Luthor is president. Yeah. (laughs) It's second finale reference. Surprise! It took us this long. The lizard is gone for thirty issues after this. Yeah. When does he? Table of time. That's right. Yeah, at, uh, at the end of the Tablet of Time arc. He's 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 there as Kurt Connors in 73, but he's the Lizard in 75. They adapt that for the anime series, and it's really bad. With reused footage up the wazoo, like shameless reused footage. Until they have, they have footage of Peter's wazoo. Boy, do they ever. You would not believe <laughs> yeah. the wazoo they show. 
Get some Ed Benet's art out there. <laughs> over and over and over and over again. So any other any other thoughts on this story? These two parts, Spider Essential Spider-Man number three, and for a long time when I was in middle school, all I had was number two. So I was like really excited and like read these stories. Somewhere out there, there is, I don't know if he's listening to the show, I I, I I went to summer camp. I don't remember this boy's name, but he was, you know, one of my. Fr- <laughs> oh no! He's one. Of the, it's one of those friends that you make in summer camp, and like in summer camp, like when you're a kid, this is like your best friend, you know, you know, you're. But like, you know, once the summer's over, you never talk to them again, right? And you never see them again. He looked through the book, and he would get really, really excited about the lizard, like, sticking his tail into holes. And he wanted the lizard to, like, stick his tail into, like, sewer manholes and stuff. And he was really excited about it. And I just... The, the holes were, were wide. If he, he, the lizard could, like, walk through, but it's not like they were, like, <laughs> like, like, like tail-shaped holes or anything. <laughs> no, like, like he, he he was really into it. He was like excited. He's like, does Lord stick his tail in any holes? I mean, it's so. <laughs> where, wherever you are, summer camp friend, um, you weirded me out, but you know, it's cool. I hope no, it's <laughs> not. It really isn't. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm at a loss for words. We we end on a note of Peter Parker not being able to do his own laundry, being a college man. Of course, he he needs Miss Watson to do that for him. But next issue, our house ad for more Marvel Masterworks, now on sale, includes Fantastic 459, where the Inhumans break free from their, what's it called, Josh? Barrier? Yeah, what's what's the barrier protecting the inside of that? Oh, um, uh, Secret Realm? Land, the, the Hidden Realm or something, I don't yeah, remember. Something like that, I forget what it's called, but anyways... Black Bolt's power is revealed to be a highly destructive force every time he makes a sound with his voice, and he basically yells at the barrier and blows it up. Which, you know, he could have done at any time before that, but he didn't. Then there's uh, Marvel's Collector's Item Classic 7 with early stories from the Fantastic Four, Iron Man and Tales of Suspense, Doctor Strange from Strange Tales, and The Incredible Hulk. And finally, Kazar returns in Daredevil 24, which marks his last appearance until we see him here in Amazing Spider-Man 57. The Marvel Bullpen Bulletins page brings us the latest lowdown on Marvel's lighthearted luminaries for literature lovers at large. Again, nothing really on Spidey. Oh, the LOLs. LOLs. LOL. There was one point here I found amusing. A few issues back, they ran center spread ads for the Saturday morning cartoon lineup, which included an ad for the Superman cartoon starting up this year. And they got flack for it. People wrote in letters asking, why are you running an ad for Superman in Marvel Comics? So Stan's response in the Bolton Bulletins is that, if they want to pay us their own good money to advertise their character, <laughs> we to say no. <laughs> money. Stan, and, why'd you do it? Eh, money. Yeah, money. <laughs> they also are still waiting for the first letters to come in about the new Marvel superheroes cartoon, so we may hear about that in the next issue. There is another ad for the cartoon and for Marvel clothes and stationery, and then there's the Spider's Web, which had love for the Avengers guest spot in Annual 3. Dennis Marshall complained about the changes in Spidey's personality since Romita took over. But the letter that gets read today is from Tom Braylek in Akron, Ohio, who writes, Dear Stan and John, I've been wondering for a long time, 
what happens to Spidey's webbing after it's been used? And they reply, that's an easy one, TV. The same thing that happens to real spiders webbing after the spiders' leases are up and they've relocated elsewhere. So what else is new? Well, they answered that back in like the first annual, right? Or something like that, where they explain, oh, it disappears just like the Invisible Woman. Yeah, you're right. The, fight, the Spidey features uh, did already answer that. So um, is that what happens with regular spiders' webs, too? Do they just kind of fade away to the elements? I believe so. They, they, they're, they're, uh, was it uh, self-degrading? No, that's not no, it. I've never been able to find any. I don't know. I guess if they didn't just automatically dissolve, the world would be covered. Biodegradable, that's what they are. Biodegradable. Right. And we're going to wrap up this issue looking at the next issue box. You guessed it. There's another big change coming up in the life of Peter Parker, everyone's favorite fall guy. It looks as though our ubiquitous underdog will finally make the break from his doting Aunt May and go it on his own. We've got all sorts of surprises in store for you. You'll see a few old familiar faces and perhaps a few dangerously exciting new ones, too. Also, there's a sizzling new supervillain. <laughs> he said sizzling. Awaiting you and more Titanic thrills than you can shake your webs at. So wherever you go, whatever you do, be with us for issue number 43. 43? I think he means 46. You're the one we did it for. <laughs> <Tough> <laughs> But the sizzling supervillain is going to be the shocker who is going to premiere next issue, and we'll talk about him next episode, as well as issue number 47, which will have Flash Thompson taking his leave of absence from the book. Poor Gwen. She never oh, please. Do. Leave of absence. Like, they had him come back on vacation like every other issue. Yeah, like, 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 like ten times. Yeah, yeah. He came back. He came. He came back for good. No, 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 no. It it wasn't in the first Rasan story. Like he was already back before. At the, at the time the first Rasan story came out, he came back for good right after the first Morbius story. But like, yeah, it, it, it was ridiculous. He was like in town on vacation, like literally every few issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember like, that very well. In fact, yeah, he comes back during the first Kingpin three parter. He he he. Like 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 Ramita is still in the book when he like still in the book drawing solo. When he comes back. <laughs> yeah, like, he leaves in issue 47. He's visiting again in issue 52. Nice. So, yeah. It's wrong! <laughs> you can reach the show via a number of different methods. The first primary way is to get us by email at AmazingSpidermanClassics at gmail.com. Where we will read your email on the air and respond to your thoughts and questions. You can also come visit us at the website for the show where you can download episodes individually or leave comments on the show postings. That is at amazingspiderman.libson.com. You can also interact with us via Facebook. There's there's a lot of activity over on the Facebook page. That's at facebook.com slash amazingspidermanclassics. And... If you subscribe to the show through iTunes, we invite you to leave us an iTunes review. When we get caught up on some more emails, we will be reading the iTunes reviews that have been left over the last few months, for which we are always very, very grateful. So until next time, I want to thank you very much for listening to Amazing Spider-Man Classics. My name is John Wilson. This is Don Grant and Josh Bertoni with us saying good night. Goodbye. Spider-Man, Spider-Man, does whatever a spider can. Spins a web, 
any size. Can't you see? Just like flies. Look out! Here comes the Spider-Man. Is he strong? Listen, bud. He's got radioactive blood. Can he swing from a thread? Take a look overhead. Hey there, there goes the Spider-Man. In the chill of night, at the scene of a crime, like a streak of light, he arrives just in time. Spider-Man, Spider-Man, friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Welcome, fame, he's ignored. Action is his reward to him. Life is a great big pain. Wherever there's a pain, you'll find the Spider-Man. If if all I if all I have is the angst without the rationality of the female side to balance it out, I'll die. Why am I talking about the rationality of the female side? The whole <laughs> hey, what are you talking about? There is no such thing. I haven't seen Alias, but I'm guessing like, you know, it's a really good show about this like secret agent chick. And I'm assuming, yeah. you know, it's a good show. The secret agent chick is awesome. But if you had Dora the Explorer doing that stuff, <laughs> While attending a demonstration and podcasting, John Wilson, Donovan Morgan Grant, and Josh Bertoni were recording. And then, uh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That didn't quite go anywhere quite as cool as I was expecting it to. (laughs) It did not. Getting to it. Tell me that you didn't hear that. I didn't hear that, but I'll edit it out anyway. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Our next email is from Dr. Nobody. Yeah, sewing one-handed has got to be a bitch. Is it me, or does a lizard... Did somebody call me? (laughs) (laughs) And that's going to be the Xavier's Podcast for Gifted Youngsters by Michael Bailey and J. David Weider. Ooh, Michael Bailey is doing another podcast? Yes. That's going in the bloopers. (laughs) Hello? Can anybody hear me?